and welcome to Chaos Dwarf Radio, the Brazen Broadcast. Brought to you direct from between the pics of Skaven Dicks on Admiral's blog. We have myself, Oxymandias. We have Chitskoy. Alright. We have Michael. Hey guys, what's up? We have Reva. Hey, how's it going? And we have a very special guest with us today. We have Lawmaster Sotek. Hello. So today, uh, ladies and gentlemen, what we are going to be doing is we're going to be uh, having a couple of different discussions. We're going to be talking a little bit about um, the upcoming Total War video game. Uh, and we're going to be talking about the upcoming Old World tabletop game. And we're very fortunate to have Sotek with us to get some of his views and his ideas and his opinions on what we can expect to see in some of these upcoming uh products. Also, we are going to be having a little look at some of the different kits that are available from Games Workshop right now that may be of particular interest to Chaos Dwarf collectors. We're looking at kits that are not Chaos Dwarf kits, but could be converted to become part of your Chaos Dwarf army. But as always, we should probably kick off by just having a little chat about how we all are and what we've been up to. And I will start. I have been absolutely drowning in a sea of green, my friends, because those hobgrots from Age of Sigma are pretty damn cheap on eBay, aren't they? They're so cheap on eBay that I might have bought over a hundred um, since 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 they came out, and I'm slowly but surely wading through them. Not not only uh, do you get a hundred hobgrots for that. Every every sprue of of ten uh, hobgoblins comes with about twenty two heads, and those heads fit so many different other kits. So yeah, I've ended up going from thinking yeah I might have a unit of these to building basically a hobgoblin army in, in all of two months, which hopefully will be revealed very soon at our at our golden hat competition. And aside from that. I've been on I've been on my holidays, guys. I've been off work, so I've been chilling, I've been enjoying myself. I had my honeymoon up in Edinburgh. If anyone has not been to Edinburgh, I would fully, fully recommend it. Absolutely beautiful historical city. Uh, lovely museums, beautiful castle, lovely little pubs and stuff. And it's got a real old world, gorgeous sort of feel to it. Cobblestone roads and uh, lots of stairs. You have to you have to come to peace with stairs if you're going to Edinburgh. Um, Vince over on the Discord said that Edinburgh is is a weird anomaly where you go uphill to get to the shops and then you go uphill to get home afterwards. It's a funny old place like that. But let's hear what some of you guys have been up to. Um, Reva, how about we start with you, buddy? Uh, what, what have you been up to recently, mate? Yeah, well, first I just wanted to thank you for uh, finishing upwards of 70 hobgoblins for the competition. So now you have to uh, make sure that's a nice big entry. So I already thanked you for it. Um, <laughs> but uh, other than that... Uh, I just got a big Kickstarter in the mail, uh, Ankh, Gods of Egypt by Simon Games. So been uh, kind of working through organizing that with my FDM printer. So that, that's kind of taken up some hobby adjacent time. Uh, it's it, it's a pretty epic board game. It's got a ton of uh, Egyptian god miniatures. And you know, coming from Tomb Kings, that's, I just got suckered in pretty immediately on that. So looking forward to actually taking a little time to, to paint those but uh for now it's just been trying to figure out how to fit it in much fewer boxes than it arrived in for sanity's sake mm. um pretty much other than that um painted up uh the the unit of, of dwarfs that uh xander had given me as part of the emissary exchange so that was a really fun unexpected thing i think i was working on converting some of that uh, last time we spoke but 
uh, yeah, got that painted up and it's a, it's a nice fun thematic unit and, uh, looking forward to some more, uh, emissary exchanges on the forum. I think we got a few plans, so it's pretty exciting. Lovely, lovely. And those, those miniatures that, uh, that Xander very kindly sent you, Bear Reaver, they are like a bit of Chaos Dwarf, uh, forum history, aren't they? These are like Battle for Skull Pass era, aren't they? I believe so. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a staple that I didn't didn't have in my army. So it definitely definitely adds quite a bit. He's he's uh, taken them and and converted them and and used uh, Hell Cannon crew to kind of uh, give it a more uh, helmed head and and masked feel to it. So that they, they're pretty grim looking, and I think they fit well. Um, but yeah. it, it was fun to try and uh, get the rest of them to look uh, sort of like his paint scheme. Although I don't think I quite nailed it, but I think in a unit of twenty four, it. Uh, it kind of blends in. Yeah, no, they definitely look like they're gonna they're gonna fit in beautifully. Yeah, and a really really cool unit. Yeah, very nice. All right, lovely. Um, Michael, what what have you been up to recently, mate? I've been doing quite a lot actually. I'm still painting my Skaven army, which is going pretty quickly, but slower than I had hoped. Um, but that's mostly because I've been distracted by other things, uh, among other skill teams with the new uh, announcement of the new game. Um. So since last time I've printed a new uh, kill team again, <laughs> uh, this time it's Battle Sisters. So yeah, nice. no idea if I ever played them, but I love them. Um, I've also played with my uh, Dead Guard and my Thousand Suns kill team. Uh, actually, I played against my own team because a buddy of mine wanted to play that, uh, my Dead Guard. Um, and I got pretty... <laughs> Hardly humiliated, like I surrendered somewhere in my second turn because I had only two models left. Uh, so yeah, not a good success. Um, I've been helping you writing for the new, uh, the second edition of the zine. So yes. that's been fun. Um, preparing a campaign for Kill Team for my buddies. So yeah, lots going on actually. Oh, and I've been adding to the um, the artisan contest model which is pretty much done, I'd say. So somewhere in the next, I believe, two weeks, there will be a frustratingly long um, photograph session, <laughs> getting those pictures just right. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's about it, actually. Nice one. Lovely, lovely stuff. And, um, and, and Chitskoy, what have you been up to, mate? So for me, you know... In between flats, the, the hobby is still buying, selling, and, and writing. Um, on those fronts, um, buy-wise, I've been putting the finishing touches to my Stormtroopers collection. Uh, so I now have um, a full set of the old second edition beret-wearing Stormtroopers, the very, very first sculpts, which is pretty cool. Um, I have also been kicking myself for paying retail price for Dominion. I didn't pay full retail price, but it's still sitting in a postal warehouse uh, but I've been helping some friends to chunk that up with me and to take the pieces out of it that they want to for a nominal fee. Um, and then, of course, I've been out there on the forum uniting people with the the Metal Chaos Dwarf miniatures of their dreams. So uh, I helped a friend from the Chaos Dwarfs Online Facebook group find a juggernaut uh, that was going for sale. I um, managed to find a set of bull centaurs uh, for someone on the Discord. Um, and of course, I helped someone not a million miles from here um, in his quest for a classic 80s swivel gun, um, which was nice. And, and I'm looking forward to, to you receiving that in the post, Oxy, when you do. Um, 
and then from a writing perspective um i know that i haven't posted any among the wicked dawi for a little while but i have been deep deep in um the final sequences of the storyline that everyone knows is secretly the storyline um which if you've been reading it you know what i mean i've been writing the very final scenes that are going to take us up to a crescendo of that um it's going to take me a little while longer another couple of months before i'm ready to start posting again but um looking forward to doing that when i can lovely stuff yeah and i'm very much looking forward to receiving that swivel gun uh cheers thank you very much <laughs> um right lovely and and then of course uh sotek uh guest on today's podcast uh, a lot of you will already know sotek from his from his work on youtube absolutely massive channel we're very very uh grateful to have you here mate do you want to let people know what it is you've been working on recently or what you've been up to recently uh sure so hobby wise um i have been slowly but surely trying to make my way through painting my Nighthaunt army um for age of sigmar i've been getting back um rather heavily into competitive play um the texas master circuit just started back up again and um so um playing an army that's considered not competitive i have been working very hard to make it as competitive as i can and it's worked out very well for me so far um with uh during the july tournament um I managed to take first without any losses, and then in the tournament last week for this month, I um, went two and one, which I'm really happy with overall, um, and placed, uh, I think I placed fourth um, in the uh, overall, but uh, so I've been working on painting my night haunts because I am a very, very slow painter. Uh, I much prefer to pay other people to do it for me, but I'm being stubborn with my night haunts and doing it myself, so I can say I've at least painted an army once <laughs> in my life <laughs> but um outside of that i've uh, been busy working on uh numerous projects um things with total war are very busy right now uh, we are almost to september and uh it has already been confirmed by creative assembly uh during this month that september is going to be all about cathay so i'm very excited for the cathay release uh as that is that is one of the most mythical and um, unknown elements of the Warhammer Fantasy world. So to yeah. not only see them get fleshed out, but just immediately brought to life in Total War is going to be pretty wild. Um, uh, besides that, I uh, recently started a new podcast called Lore Beards, which you can find on my YouTube channel, as well as numerous um, platforms like Google Podcasts, uh, uh, Apple, and um spotify if you're interested in that where i hang out with uh, great book of grudges who's another youtuber and we talk about um everything warhammer uh and a lot of total war stuff as well but uh hobby wise yeah that's 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 been my uh, main focus as of late nice one lovely right so um i think you've you've kind of started us off a little bit there so it's like already because one of the things that we were going to be talking about today one of our main topics was going to be um the Warhammer Total War series. Um, now, I'm not uh, massively, massively qualified to to uh, to lead off on this one, to discuss this one, because I'm much more of an analog gamer than a digital gamer. I'm still not convinced um, video games are really going to take off. I, I think it's a flash in the pan thing myself. But some of us uh, amongst us are, are very into uh, the Total War series, uh, namely Reaver, who's been playing them since... Well, you've been uh, playing these games since, uh, since the Warhammer Total War games started coming out, haven't you? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, there's, uh, I had a friend who who had played Total War from you know all the way through all their historical titles, and uh, and I kind of had been 
getting him into into the hobby and, and it, was, it was a it was a circumstance where uh we kind of uh traded hobbies a bit and uh you know he got me into doing co-op campaigns uh of warhammer one and, and i uh convinced him that he needed uh chaos dwarfs lots of chaos dwarfs so and we <laughs> so we we traded that off and monetarily i came out uh much better than he did but um <laughs> but that was how pretty much how that started yeah, buying one video game, even with the DLC add-ons, compared to a single order from Forge World. Yeah, I can imagine which one was more expensive. <laughs> yep. Um, so, um, Reva, maybe you want to um, uh, kick us off a little bit here about um, kind of what we are expecting to see in this in this new iteration of the Total War uh, franchise. Uh, what we know we're going to see, what we think we're going to see, what we'd like to see, maybe with a little bit of focus on, on Chaos Dwarfs. And then obviously, um, Sotek, we know that you're very, very involved in this game's community, so we'd, we'd love to hear some of your opinions, some of your opinions as well. So maybe, Reeve, if you kick us off, pal. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, so I think one of the biggest things uh, for me when I was, you know, getting my, my friend into the hobby and everything and, and actually was kind of bringing lots of folks uh, into like some interest in painting was, uh, you know, we'd put on YouTube videos of various, uh, various folks. And I, I would be willing to commit that we, that we watched uh, some of uh, Loremaster's videos at, at, at any given time uh, since they, they come up quite often, uh, you know, in the search results. So we used to put those on and, you know, paint some miniatures in our spare time. And I was kind of teaching people to paint, uh, you know, helping my buddy collect his army and all that. So it, it's a really cool synergy. And, and I think we've already seen bits of swell happening, uh, you know, on our forum and, and our discord where, uh, you know, people are, the, the interest is starting to stew around and, and, and we'll, we'll talk about the old world later and that'll be in parallel, but there's definitely, uh, I think an even, an even bigger community that, um, that has the, the chance to come over from, from the video game specifically. And I think that's a really cool, uh, a cool opportunity. And obviously for, for chaos dwarfs, you know, we'd like to, we'd like to catch as many people as we can to, you know, just to see more Castro's painted because that's pretty much why we're here. So, uh, yeah. Anyway, just uh, so I guess the first thing, Sotek, uh, just to understand uh, where you're coming from. You know, Oxy kind of kind of mentioned that I started at Warhammer One, and and I came from a place where, you know, I I painted Warhammer was you know invested in in Games Workshop uh, for for many years and and saw the video game and was you know interested by that. But uh, you know, we have a, plenty of other people and. On our forum, we have plenty of history buffs for sure, where uh, and and even those who played all the historical games as well. So, um, did you come into Total War as as a Warhammer player or a Warhammer fan previously, or was or was the Total War um, experience, I guess, uh, something that you'd you'd been invested in through their historical titles? Uh, for me, the answer is actually both. Uh, I started playing Warhammer. Um, when I was much, much younger, uh, back in 2001 is when I started with Lizardman and kind of played through, uh, up until, uh, the world blew up. And, um, I was very big into competitive of Warhammer, especially, but, um, you know, the, the lore and the universe are things that I fell in love with, uh, though I was at the time much more known for, um, uh, being a very uh, competitive Lizardman player in the Texas circuit. And then um, I actually got into the Total War games with Shogun 2, which was the second installment that focused on Japan. 
um, as a historical title, which is a wonderful game. I mean, I, I would say that it's a masterpiece uh, for anyone that enjoys historical games. You should absolutely try it out. But um, uh, so I, I played Shogun 2 for many, many hours. Um, I fell off a bit with Rome 2. Uh, Rome 2, of course, did have a very infamous uh, launch that did not go well. And uh, a lot of people kind of got burned by that game and avoided it for a long time. And eventually they fixed it up, but it, it took a good while. But um, I was kind of one of those people that whenever I would play Shogun 2, I would literally just be staring at my screen being like, God, I wish I wish this was a Warhammer game so bad. Like, literally just take Warhammer and put it in this format. And then they did, and it was awesome. Um, and it was a very, very exciting uh, experience to be able to see that come to life and be something that I really, really wanted because I just, I knew it was going to be something that would just completely shake up um, not only the Warhammer community, but just the video game community um, because it's, it's such a fascinating universe that whenever I would just be out doing things, um, I was such a big Warhammer nerd. I would usually be traveling around with my books just to read them casually and it was always so easy to get people interested in the universe just by talking about it. Um, but there just wasn't a great place to expose people to it because all of the fantasy video games that did exist were very niche and a lot of them had serious issues or were very slow paced um, or exceedingly difficult because they were like maybe a little too based on the tabletop. And um, fantasy also just was not nearly as supported or present as 40k was in kind of the culture of you know nerd culture and then total warhammer dropped on us and changed everything um and it has just continued to explode in popularity um and it is you know now even when it's in it's kind of dead periods between dlcs or uh, patches it's still like one of the most popular games on steam um, usually in the top 20, if not higher. Um, so it's, it's a franchise that does very well for itself. And I have been very fortunate to be very involved with it. Um, ever since the game was announced, when I had my humble beginnings as just some guy that went on to the Total War forums and I started a forum thread where I said, oh, well, you know, all you people that are just hearing about Warhammer for the first time, if you have any questions, I would love to answer your questions about the game or the lore. Uh, because I have experience with it, and uh, it ended up being the longest-running thread on the forums, at least at that time, uh, where hundreds of questions were answered. Um, and I, that's why I ended up having to start my YouTube channel, is that it became too complicated. Um, is that uh, if someone would ask a question that's already been asked, like someone would be like, oh, tell me about dragons, and someone else would have to tell them, oh, go to page 23, and scroll down to the eighth post, and that's where you'll find dragon stuff. Um, so making a YouTube channel ended up being a lot simpler, um, learning all those uh, things. And uh, once the YouTube channel kicked off, um, eventually, you know, a community formed up around it, and a bunch of new YouTubers kind of popped up around Warhammer. Um, and I had the immense um, fortune to kind of get Creative Assembly's attention, and uh, started having um, a lot of dialogue with them um, around uh, just, uh, I think, around when the third DLC for Warhammer 1 came out, which was uh, The King and the Warlord. 
which was uh, Greenskins and Dwarfs. And uh, after that, uh, just built continued building relationship with them. Uh, I've traveled to their studio uh, numerous times um, to uh, like try out things or help with things or. Uh, uh, I've had many conversations with uh, various developers and community members. Um, I've uh, spoken with the, the writers behind the design of the game and the lore behind the game and had a lot of really awesome conversations um, and had many, many, many nights uh, in pubs um, way too late and with way too many drinks uh, flowing. Um, and uh, it, it's always been uh, a privilege to see what they're doing with the game and have a lot of that insight and i'm really really excited to see where it's going in the future that's great yeah it, 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 something you said really really resonates because I, I had an experience a, just uh a couple of weeks ago with a friend of a friend who um got into the lore of warhammer because of of the warhammer total war games and and so you've you've filled a niche that a lot of people uh that a lot of people needed and and whether they came from historicals or, or they just, you know, came into it as a, you know, wanting a, you know, fantasy setting video game. Um, just getting to experience like how enriching like the Warhammer world is, uh, is something that was, yeah, lacking. And, and it's, it's cool that, uh, you know, between yourself and YouTubers, that that void has been, has been filled and, and, and become accessible to people because we, I think you could talk with most people and, and games workshop has not been, dubbed the most accessible thing over over the years uh and, and i think you hinted at that a, a little bit with um and with fantasy and it, it wasn't always the easiest thing to get into so it, it's really cool that there there's there's that gateway um that's present now uh let's see yeah that covered like multiple things that i want to discuss but anyway um so I guess in terms of what's in the game now, well, what do you play the most? What's your, what's your favorite uh, faction or, or your roster that, that, that you tend to run with most of the time now? Oh, Lord. Uh, <laughs> I, I would say if I'm doing multiplayer or uh, an experience where I am wanting to enjoy and win battles, um, like the actual live uh, real-time battles, uh, Lizardmen are definitely my go-to. Um, unfortunately, and th this is a bit of a, almost to the point of a being a meme in the community, um, the Lizardman campaigns are all in kind of a rough, uh, spot at the moment because they're not particularly entertaining. Um, but I, I would say, um, probably the campaign I play the most nowadays, uh, would probably be the, the dwarfs. Um, the dwarfs have a very, very exciting campaign nowadays. Uh, they very recently received a new update that just makes their campaign stupidly fun to play. Um, and of course they got Thoric Ironbrow, who is my easily my favorite of the dwarf um, characters. So having him brought into the game was super exciting. Um, and um, I, I've really been having a ball with them uh, recently, but I, I do play all the factions quite a bit. Um, I actually recently on my uh, live streaming channel over on Twitch, um, started a around the world tour essentially where my goal is to play every single race um, one character from every single race to a finished campaign before um, Total War Warhammer 3 releases um, and we are the next time I do it uh, we will be finishing the high elves and moving on from there but um, I've, I, yeah I mean I love every aspect of the game um, there are definitely some parts that are a little older and probably need some love and some tweaking, but 
you know, that's most video games. There's always something to do. Yeah, nice. That that uh, I haven't played the the new the new dwarf campaign since since they released that uh, that free LC there, but that's been something that's been on my hit list lately because I had kind of found. I mean, I had enjoyed the dwarfs in in, in Total War One, and and, and the, the dwarf campaign was was kind of how I convinced my buddy to collect cast dwarfs for you know his fantasy army. So he really enjoyed those campaigns. We played a lot of co op. Um, but I kind of started to find the dwarfs to be a tiny bit one dimensional in, in two, and it was really good to see that they you know they kind of enriched them a bit with an update, even though I haven't played it. But I did have a good conversation with the you know friend of friend that I was just talking about, and he he was super into all those new mechanics, and and he's definitely um, by nature kind of interested in what the castle dwarfs will bring in uh, in the future game. And I think uh, I guess that segues pretty well into um, obviously the this community being uh, castle focused. That's uh, our main point of excitement is uh, is when and how the cast dwarfs will be implemented in Total War Warhammer Three. So, wanted to pick your brain a bit about uh, you know there the, you know there's rumors flying around everywhere. Uh, do you see this as being something that um, you know that the pre-order DLC hasn't quite been announced yet? I, I know lots of us, I, I believe Chits and I are on the same page here that you know we'd love to see the. Uh, the Tomb Kings or the Vampire Coast uh, treatment with uh, the Chaos Dwarfs, but um, yeah, what what are your thoughts on on how they'll be brought into the game? Uh, so, from what I know and from what I've kind of seen, we we've had enough hints dropped by Creative Assembly, and um, if you know kind of how to read read the land, so to speak, um, the Ogre Kingdoms are a thousand percent the pre-order DLC. So the Ogre Kingdoms are going to be the first guys coming out the door um, uh, with the main release of the game, not after it. Um, however, um, based on the way that um, Creative Assembly tends to handle um, their development cycle, I would say it is very, very likely that the Chaos Dwarfs are probably going to either be the first or second DLC for... Total War Warhammer 3. Um, as the first, uh, I believe they call them, uh, I think they're race packs. Or sure, now, sure, not yeah. campaign packs. I forget what the terminology they use is. But um, they, I, I do think they will be either identical or a evolution of the type of content DLC we saw for the Tomb Kings and Vampire Coast. Where you're basically just going to have a big fat DLC that is pure chaos dwarf um and is going to just be the entire race dropped just all together in one big fat uh thing which i think is ideal for the chaos dwarfs um that uh i i think anyone who's played warhammer 2 uh would be a fool not to agree that the tomb kings and vampire coast were two of the strongest releases in the entire game um and that they came out as complete uh, factions that had just tons of fascinating design. They felt very good. They felt very finished. They had everything. Nothing was like held back for a later release. Um, literally, the only thing that we saw uh, tossed in later was that there was a, a bone giant that was added for the Tomb Kings for free as part of a later um, a Skulls for the Skull Throne event, which is a summer event that Games Workshop used to do. Um, that has now been replaced by the Skulls event, <laughs> which is apparently <laughs> so different they felt they needed to rebrand 
um, it, to the extent that they even sent me a t-shirt to be like, it's skulls now. <laughs> it's like, okay, <laughs> great. Um, but um, I, I think the Chaos Dwarf community should be immensely excited because when the time comes for the Dawizar to finally march out, it, it is going to be as a complete, fully fleshed out race. So, so on that topic, right, I think Reaver and I have talked about this quite a bit. Um, and and we're on the same page that we think it'll be a one and done release, but that is really interesting, Sotek, because um, and listeners will be able to watch the full version where Oxy and I spent a couple of hours talking to uh, Sotek about this over on his channel. Um, but it's really important to note that that means if that's what happens, once you get that full army list from that release, that will pretty much be it which means when we do get that DLC drop, we're going to have to look on that list and see what choices they made. Are they going to do every piece of siege equipment from the Forge World range? I think that's more likely than the idea that we would see very much of the stuff from the 80s range, right? So I guess, do you think that that one and done thing will have big implications for which Chaos Dwarfs show up on the day? I do, um, though I do think it's worth noting that there's no guarantee, of course, it's a one-and-done. Um, Creative Assembly has always been kind of shifting and adapting, and if there's one thing they almost have to a fault, it's that they almost kind of have a design philosophy of trying not to repeat the same thing, the exact same, too often, um, which, frankly, I wish they would uh, to make them a little bit easier to figure out what's going on sometimes. But um, with the Chaos Dwarves, I think I think what you're going to see ideally um, is going to be a full race release, and then there might be like something further down the line where you see like a um, like a legendary hero system, and then maybe they get like one extra character as a legendary hero um, thrown in. Or um, if for whatever reason they miss something as part of the range, generally what will happen when something does not make it into an army, uh, and we've seen this numerous times uh, publicly, is that usually they work on everything. Like everything that could possibly be in the army that they could even remotely justify and get Games Workshop's approval, they will start making. And then if something doesn't make it and ends up on the cutting room floor it'll still be partially done most of the time. And um, we'll have a chance at being completed later. We saw this with the, the Tomb King's Bone Giant. The Tomb King's Bone Giant had already been mostly designed in that it had fully fleshed out concept art. Um, an artist had already figured out how to like render everything. They just didn't have time to put it in the DLC. And they ended up releasing that about... Uh, I want to say six months, six to nine months after the Tomb Kings came out, they were uh, just were like, "Hey, look, here's another monster." Um, so there's definitely a chance um, that you know you you might see something like that happen where the Chaos Dwarfs come out. Um, and I, I would not say to get too comfortable with the idea that like you know the Chaos Dwarfs will drop and like that's the end. Um, it's very likely that another character or monster or war machine or something like that could pop up, but you're not, you're not going to see something immense. Like, I don't think you're going to see like another 
batch of units added. It'll probably just be some kind of like single entity creature or character. Nice. Well, in that same vein, uh, we have uh, our hobgoblin auxiliaries, and uh, curious to hear your thoughts on on handling of that. And I, I mean, there certainly could be the potential, and and maybe there's some hints in the old world uh, as well. But th- there could be some hints at at the conate proper uh, coming in to the setting, and uh, especially, and maybe maybe once we start seeing more about uh, Cathay, we might we might have a bit more hints at uh, you know their main adversaries or whatnot. But um, Interesting to hear it, what, what you thought on handling of hobgoblins. I know we, we've been discussing hobgoblins relatively ad nauseum on, on, on this podcast, but it'll certainly be an interesting thing to see how and, and whether it's uh, concurrent with the Chaos Dwarfs or as uh, some kind of separate release. Yeah, so uh, hobgoblins are probably one of the most interesting races to be following right now. Um, as Warhammer the Old World put out a post not too long ago um, speaking about them, that seem to heavily insinuate that the hobgoblins are not just going to be a, at least for the old world, a bonus to the Chaos Dwarfs, kind of the Chaos Dwarf cannon fodder, but may very well see their own full release as the Hobgobliconate, which is something that has always existed in fantasy, but was never explored. Um, where hobgoblins have always been kind of, um, forced to be part of another roster instead of having their own full range. Um, when it comes to Total War, um, I will say that is a very difficult thing to predict. Um, uh, I, I'm certainly not all-knowing and uh, make mistakes, and of course uh, design um, decisions change within uh, Creative Assembly. Uh, so even if you do know what's going on, when it finally releases, it may be something totally different than what you uh thought was going to happen. But I will say that um, I, I personally do not think that the Hobgoblin Conate is going to be released as a separate race. Um, as in like having a full um, 15 plus dollar DLC that has tons of units and four legendary lords and unique designs and all this other crazy stuff. However, I, I do think you are going to see them represented um, which is something that Creative Assembly does uh, very cleverly um, in many places in the game, where I think what you will very likely see is for the Hobgoblins to essentially got, get the treatment that the Savage Orcs got, uh, though probably a little bit better, uh, because the Savage Orcs are still uh, not 100%, though they're getting there, which is that I think what's going to happen is the Chaos Force are going to release, and they're going to have the full Hobgoblin range as part of it. Um, which you may very well see more Hobgoblins than you did in Tarmacon, and maybe even more variants of Hobgoblin than we saw in the original 80s release. Um, But as part of that, I think what they will do is kind of compromise in two different ways. And the first one will be that I believe that they're going to program the AI, which they've done this before, so we know it's a trick they have up their sleeve. They will program the AI to create the Hobgoblin Conate. So if you are playing as Cathay, one of your starting enemies will likely be the Hobgoblin Conate, and what it will functionally be is a minor faction that only uses Hobgoblin units. So it does not have the ability to even recruit Chaos Dwarf units. It simply has Hobgoblin characters and uses nothing but Hobgoblin units and will have a very, very limited roster. Um, And it's essentially like a race that is annoying, 
uh, and maybe we'll spawn from time to time. Because that's how Savage Orcs work now, for anyone not familiar with Total War Warhammer, is that no matter what race you're playing, you'll get an event called Those Savages. And um, the event spawns a horde army somewhere on the world um, near the player, and basically the army is a pure Savage Orc army. So it's all Savage Orc units, and that's it. And it cannot recruit anything else. So it's just Savage Orc, Savage Orc Biggins, Savage Orc Boar Boys, Savage Orc Error Boys, and Savage Orc Boar Boar Biggins. And that's it. <laughs> that's the full army. That was, um, um, that was what they did with um, the Marauder factions before Norska was released as well, right? Archaon was the only one that got the full Warriors of Chaos roster. And then in Norska, before the Norska faction was released, they were restricted to the lowest tier of Chaos Warrior infantry. Yes, and I think that's how the, the Hobgoblin Khanate will be represented, at least at first. Um, it, you know, it always comes down to a situation of popularity, um, which a lot of people don't think that it does, but it genuinely does, in that if, if the community consistently pushes for something, it's not unusual to see that thing added to the game. So, like, if they release this Hobgoblin Khanate um, as kind of a minor faction, and people, for whatever reason, like, really fall in love with the Hobgoblins... And really want to see them kind of given like a more Norska size treatment. I think that could actually be done. So what you're officially saying to our fandom, Lawmaster, is shit post for Hashut. That's what I'm hearing. You may not be using those words, but what I'm hearing is spam creative assembly chat and write letters to the HQ and show up at people's houses just with big hobgoblin banners, right? All of those except the last one. Um <laughs> Nobody, nobody wants you at their house. I don't care who you we are, are. We are, we are well known for showing up to the comments section of Warhammer Community and other things. And uh, by which, by us, I don't mean actually anyone from our community. But there's always someone saying "Chaos Dwarfs when," um, in response to pretty much every post that GW makes about everything. Yeah. So here's what I here's what I will say uh, to the Chaos Dwarf community is that first. Wait and see what happens. <laughs> let's let's wait for it to get out the door and give it a chance. Um, because the other thing I think they're going to do, I, I need to finish my point before I get into uh, how to approach it if anyone wants to push for more, which is totally fine. Like, I fully support that. Um, but um, the other thing I think they're going to do to kind of try and meet people halfway is that I think when they do release the Chaos Dwarfs with the, at minimum four legendary lords one of them is going to be a hobgoblin character um so you'll have three chaos dwarf characters and then a hobgoblin and the hobgoblin will more than likely be borgrut backstabber uh if i remember his name right um uh, or they'll make up their own character that's also totally possible um chaos dwarfs are very very old so the likelihood of seeing unique characters is very very high um, compared to other races, um, though they do have five characters to work with, which I've talked about extensively uh, on my channel, being Zatan the Black, um, Astrogoth Iron Hand, Bogart Backstabber, um, uh, the uh, Draswath the Ashen, and Shartor the Executioner. You know that's a that's a pretty good mix, but. Um, if they do bring out a Hobgoblin special character, which I think they should as one of the legendary lords, he would kind of be your pseudo Hobgoblin Khanate, where he would operate, I think, very similar to how like Skarsnik does or Wurzag does, where you have this character who interacts with a sub-faction within the race, and he just gives them so many bonuses 
and makes them so hilariously ridiculous that it just allows you to go crazy with hobgoblins and you have chaos force kind of acting as your supplement as opposed to the other way around if you want my picks i reckon because if if we if we take a step back and think they're gonna want warrior wizard monster um and then something weird right if there's gonna be four of them then for warrior i think it's gonna be trashoath for wizard i think it's gonna be uh what do you call him astragoth um for monster i think it'll be shator who will kind of be the dragon ogre style big horrible monster lord and then yeah i think a hobgoblin makes sense because realistically then if you look at the roster you've got maybe an artillery guy in there would be the fifth archetype that they could go for but you could just make one of the two central chaos dwarfs buff to artillery if you wanted to astragoth could be you know that guy yeah, and and that's in that kind of thing is that especially with chaos dwarfs, you know, the chaos dwarf sorcerer lords have so many overlapping roles, um, mm. in that they are the engineers, they are the wizards, they are the monster writers, they are the like the faction leaders. Um, so that kind of gives you a little more wiggle room with some of those other character roles, um, as opposed to some armies which have to maybe rely on a more narrow list to fill in every uh, different theme. But uh, as far as, like, if you're someone that hears that and you go, oh, that sucks, I really want, like, the full Khanate, um, the, the, the thing I would suggest as someone who has courted CA's opinion on many things, or attempted to at least, um, number one, be nice. <laughs> Don't go for a flame war or anything like that. They will just ignore you. Uh, and two, uh, post on the forums, post on the subreddit, post in their Discord. Um, don't be... You know, don't do multiple times a day, but like maybe multiple times a week is good. Um, but they they do listen to the community. They genuinely do. A lot of people think they don't. Um, there are a lot of there are a lot of boogeyman theories and conspiracy theories about how game developers operate. Um, but as someone who has been in their offices, has has friends that work there, like has been involved, um, they they do pay attention. Um, uh, and so if, if you're someone that just really, really loves hobgoblins and that's one of the races you want to see expanded, I, I will admit, unfortunately, I will probably not be on your team. Uh, there are other races that I, uh, am turning my attention to once chaos wars get their release, but, uh, you know, I wish you all the best in your fight. Uh, you know, I'll say that I genuinely believe that the only reason we're getting Cathay is because the community fought very hard for it. Um, a lot of people called me absolutely ridiculous about three years ago, three or four years ago, when Warhammer 2 was fairly fresh out of the gate. Uh, Games Workshop, for some reason, did this big community event where they asked everyone to submit a poll on what kind of content they want. And I literally went out to my entire community and the Total War community and I said, hey, let's all go fill out this forum. That's genuinely not for us, but let's go fill it out anyway. Fill it out with your actual opinions, and then you're going to copy and paste this really nice message to ask or to beg Games Workshop to please put Cathay into the game. And people called me crazy. They said I was insane, and there, there were a bunch of hobbyists that were very butthurt, saying that I was I was uh, co-opting their 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 poll. But you know what? It worked. <laughs> as far as i'm concerned it worked very nice yeah that that's that's really interesting and uh i i 
you had uh, I had a list of list of names, and and I think you nailed what would be the the top four, and and I I definitely think they'll they'll fill that monster slot with uh, with Shartor because that that seems like that would be a really fun and, and way to make a nice distinguishing campaign from the other Chaos Dwarf Lords. So if they do oh, yeah. get a get a Hobgoblin as a fourth, e- even better. Yeah. Um. So I mean, so that's that's kind of how the 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 general thing I'm looking at it, and I would say that normal scenario assuming like ca is operating at their best and they're doing a predictable schedule um if you are just super hyped for the chaos Wolf release i would probably be paying very close to attention to ca um after warhammer 3 releases i would say it would probably be out um the best place to look would probably be like six months to a year after um game three drops there you have it Unless they come out of left field and they like release End or Nippon as the first DLC, in which case, you know, you'll be sometime after that. <laughs> if Cast Wolf fans are good at anything, so tech, we are good at waiting for releases. Oh, God, I hope so. <laughs> yeah, we, we got a good sideline in cynicism and despair as well, but. <laughs> it, yeah, but I, I am very excited for the Chaos Dwarves. Um, they are going to be a very bizarre faction for Total War. And they're probably going to have some very challenging things to balance. But I do think they're going to be very fun. Yeah, Chaos Dwarfs are often a faction that are hard to balance because their very nature, with especially when you take into account Hobgoblin allies, is they do have a little bit of everything, don't they? They've got the long range, they've got the short range, they've got the monsters, they've got the chaff units. Like, in Blood Bowl, for example, a game that gives absolutely no toss whatsoever about balance it is widely acknowledged that cast dwarfs are probably the easiest uh, team to win with for that reason it's got a bit of everything and everything's pretty good at what it does yeah and um you know it's kind of it's kind of this weird thing of that the only weakness really that the chaos dwarfs have stereotypically had is that they they are they were kind of an elitist faction so you couldn't field a lot of guys, but you're right in that hobgoblins throw this massive wrench into it, where suddenly you have this horde army as a part of a super elite army, yeah. um, which is very bizarre. Um, well, it, un- unless you break them with animosity rules, right, and make them like almost as much of a burden as they are of a tactical and strategic help, which is what the dogs of war hobgoblins. It was like on the one hand, I've got this nice unit of cheap light cavalry. On the other hand can I rely on them? What are they going to do? Um, which I don't necessarily think CA have a huge experience of, but if you think about stuff like the rampage mechanic and how they tack that onto the lizard men, um, you could do something very similar with hobgoblins where they just are unreliable. But the problem is they never really figured out how to balance that mechanic. Well, and it's, it's kind of this tricky thing. So like um, there's an interesting history uh, with total war behind war machines where um, a lot of people don't realize this, but um, back during Warhammer 1, the original plan was to make war machines function like they do in tabletop, where they could misfire. Um, But they ended up removing the misfire mechanic from the game because it was too frustrating. Um, It was like, there was just a random chance that when one of your war machines would fire, something bad would happen, and it would like blow up and die. And it was very, very frustrating for players because they couldn't control what was going on. 
Um, you know, just like how in tabletop, it used to be where if you cast any magic, you had a chance of miscasting. Whereas in Total War, you only have to worry about miscasting if you're overcasting or if there's some kind of extraneous effect. But generally, um, systems that take agency away from the player, so systems that cause something to happen, the player has no control over it, are exceedingly rare in Total War because it's just not good for video games. It's just not fun. Um, and it, it upsets players. So they avoid it as much as they can. Um, and they've tried to implement it in various ways, like with the Lizardman, the Rampage mechanic. And like as someone who loved Lizardman and Tabletop, I personally loved the Rampage mechanic because it was faithful to the Lizardman. And honestly, I actually found it was not that big of a deal uh, because it just meant I didn't have to micro that unit while they're going crazy and eating everyone around them. But for many people, they found the Rampage mechanic very frustrating, despite the fact that it does have a built-in solution where if you're really that worried about it, you can just run cold-blooded or characters with cold-blooded to be able to uh, negate the Rampage. But like that is um, something that has garnered a lot of flack from uh the community is the rampage mechanic so like when it comes to hobgoblins i do not think you're going to see hobgoblins with anything in the way of animosity or um rampage i think worst case scenario they will have very low leadership and they will probably have the expendable trait um so that they don't cause leadership debuffs to chaos force when they're running around fleeing and stuff um but because they're not going to have those downsides it, it is going to be tricky to balance them um, as far as like how much, um, you know, how cheap do we make this unit that would normally maybe be super cheap? Maybe they're a little bit more expensive or maybe they just give them truly abominable stat lines or something. Um, but uh, the, the Chaos Horse are going to be occupying a very unique position and that dwarfs are considered a very, very powerful army. The only downside they have is that they do not have cavalry and they do not have expendable frontline troops. And the Chaos Horse look at that and just laugh evilly like they always do because they've got freaking Bull Centaurs and um, Hobgoblins um, and Hobgoblin Wolf Riders. So it is going to be incredibly interesting to see how they attempt to balance them. But the Chaos Horse are not alone in that camp. Y'all are bedfellows with the Ogre Kingdoms um, who in many ways have a very bizarre tabletop history just like the Chaos Dwarfs do. Uh, and they have a very bizarre total war scenario, just like the Chaos Horse do. And that how do you balance an army where virtually everything is large? <laughs> when anti-large is a mechanic that exists. That was not a thing in tabletop. And it's going to be interesting to see how they handle that. I mean, the ogres we have in Total War Warhammer 2 are performing very, very well so far. Some might even say they're overperforming. But they're also locked to campaign only and can join any army because they're mercenaries. So, um, it, you know, y'all, y'all are not alone in being an army in game three that who knows how the balance is going to work. Excellent. Well, um, I think the only other thing you and you just touched on it. Uh, one of the major differences there between doors and chaos dwarfs is the, is the, is the magic and, uh, sort of like, uh, and this is another thing that draws a parallel with vampire coast. You know, they created a whole new, uh, lore of magic uh for that faction the lore of deeps and and you know presumably we'll have uh you know ca picking up the the lore of hashut and i was wondering if you would care to care to forecast what we might see there i think that you know there could be a fair amount of you know direct damage built in there um 
potentially some kind of ash vortex spells but uh yeah in terms of like uh where do you see that falling in the kind of i guess the power rankings of uh of some of the the lores or or, or what kind of parallels can you draw with uh, with other schools of magic sure uh well i will say as someone that was a very hardcore competitive player in eighth edition the lore of hashit still gives me nightmares sometimes <laughs> because it was so grossly overpowered um by forge world's design um i do think you're absolute you're a thousand billion percent i would bet one of my limbs on it that you're gonna see the lore of hashit um as for how it will be interpreted uh, i do believe there was a old version um and the thing about CA that I love about them is they don't just use the most modern design. They look at the race as a whole. You know, they look at the race and its entire history and pull from various elements to create something unique. You know, where we have these wonderful situations where, you know, the Vampire Coast went from being just a white dwarf supplement that was kind of cool to being a fully fleshed out faction after it was fused with the uh, monstrous arcanum and dreadfleet to make a really fleshed out full faction um and i, I think for the chaos dwarves the lore of hashit may uh, in many aspects of the army may see something similar where you're probably going to see various elements um kind of very carefully fused together from across the history of the chaos dwarves do not for anyone out there do not expect them to just be like legion of asgore period in story it's going to be significantly more than that and also probably different than that. They're probably not going to directly use that design, um, but rather take a lot of inspiration from it. I think some of the models you'll see direct one-to-ones, um, but um, others I would expect subtle differences um, or large differences. But uh, when it comes to the lore of Hashit in particular, if they uh, take a balanced approach with it, um, I think it will be a um, lore that revolves very heavily around damage dealing and debuffs. Um, because I think that invokes um, kind of the ideology of Hashit and what you would expect from a Chaos Dwarf design. Um, so what I would expect to see is you're probably going to have um, one or two solid magic missiles, you know, long-range spells where you just point and click on someone, it flies across the field and blows up. Uh, you're you're going to see at least one big Vortex spell, um, whether it's uh, Ash Storm or um one of uh one of the more um other spells that they had um where you're probably just gonna see like some big cool effect that's probably gonna take too long to cast and people in multiplayer will just dodge it but in single player it'll be super fun um and then i would probably expect like a template based spell kind of where you like click on the ground and there's some kind of effect and there's an explosion but the big thing i think you're gonna see are debuffs um personally the biggest one i'm 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 like calling my shot is I'm expecting there to be at least one debuff that significantly uh, affects enemy leadership, very similar to Doom and Darkness from the Lord of Death. Uh, and the one that I'm the most anticipate, anticipant of, I guess, if that's a word, um, is um, either Ashstorm or another spell that functioned like Ashstorm on tabletop where you have the ability to make an enemy unit flammable. So either as a, maybe you could overcast it as an AOE or the overcast will make it last longer, have longer range, but uh, a spell where you click on a unit or an area and all the units in the area gain the flammable keyword, which means they take significant bonus damage from fire attacks. For me, that is a must have spell because that is just one of the most terrifying spells 
that the Chaos Dwarves can bring to the field considering the sheer volume of fire that they have. Um, and I really, really hope they go ham with it. And I also hope they give y'all um, a couple more beasties um, from the Monsters Arcanum in addition to what you already have coming from like the older books and stuff. I think seeing the Juggernaut, um, I, I think it depends on whether they get told that the Juggernaut is like, oh, the, you know, the, the uh, demon, the Iron Demon is now the, the Juggernaut um, and is its modern interpretation. Or maybe they'll say, oh no, the, the uh, Colossus is the, is the, I don't think it'll be called a Juggernaut anymore because Corn has the Juggernauts now. So I could see that causing some naming issues. So they'll probably call it um, by a different name. But I, I think you'll see a lot of those really iconic pieces returning. Um, but I also hope y'all get some new monsters as well. Like, personally, a monster I think would suit the Chaos Dwarves very well um, that I would love to see added to y'all's roster is the Dreadworm from um, the uh, Monsters Arcanum, the giant burrowing worm monster that uh, eats people and can, like, vomit acid. Um, but, so the, the thing I would say is that with all the monsters and magic and siege weapons and all this stuff... I genuinely believe that Chaos Dwarfs are probably the most anticipated army um, yet to be released for Total War Warhammer uh, as a series. And there's good reason for that. I mean, they just bring a ton of toys to the trade. And from a historical perspective, very few games have kind of that Babylonian Mesopotamian culture aesthetic. Uh, and the Chaos Dwarfs have it in such hilarious, flamboyant craziness that... Um, they're just something really, really special. And uh, I, I think it is going to be well worth the wait. And for any, and uh, I would say to the anyone that loves Chaos Dwarves and is tired of waiting, though, that when it comes to Total War, man, the later you're released, the better you are. <laughs> you know, you'd much rather be the Vampire Coast than the Beastmen, you know? So um, hang in there, guys, and uh, hopefully... Uh, 2022 or at the latest 2023 will finally be your time in the sun. Well, excellent. I think uh, that's probably just as good anything to, to segue on. What do you guys think? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Very, very exciting time to be a, be a cast war fan and a total war fan at the same time. I think that's a, it all sounds extremely promising. It really, really does. Now, the other thing that we want to talk about today is of course the, Highly, highly anticipated, uh, yet still mostly unknown, Warhammer, the old world tabletop game. Because we're in a really funny uh, historical position right now where we're here talking in detail about the spin-off video game for Warhammer Fantasy Battles, which is doing really well, which has got massive fans all over the world, people downloading it, people playing it every day. And it's a spin-off of a game that was murdered around the time it started coming out. <laughs> it's a funny old time. And in fact, we probably, as Warhammer fans, owe a great deal of gratitude to Creative Assembly and to those video games because they have in very in a very real way kept that torture light and kept that hype going. They've kind of kept the Warhammer fantasy battles uh in the zeitgeist as it were. But we're gonna talk a little bit today about what it is going to be like this game based on what information we have and what we might uh what we might expect um from it michael am i right that you had a, a couple of words you wanted to say on this pal 
Uh, you are. And and um, continuing on what you said, um, I don't think they kept the hype alive. I think they even heightened it. I mean, th there's more people than ever that I know of that are interested in Warhammer that even haven't painted a model yet. And that's all due to Total War, uh, Total War Warhammer 3 or older versions. So, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a great time to be alive and a great time to um, be into this hobby, in my opinion. And it's only a small leap going from Total War Warhammer 3 um, to the, the old world, and at least in my head, because I think they'll be closely related. Um, and I do remember when it was announced in the end of 2018, I believe, um, that it was like <laughs> a, a huge bag of mixed feelings, where on the one hand, everybody that missed Warhammer, um, whatever version you like, um, got excited of the chance of maybe playing a game that was similar or the same. But um, most of us probably were too, um, what's, the, what's the right way to describe it? Hurt, angry, whatever, pick your words, uh, about the fact that their beloved lore and, and world was destroyed. Um, and I, I distinctly remember being very skeptical um thinking yeah sure it's 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 probably not going to be whatever i hope or want it to be and i really wanted to know um so like what your initial response was to hearing this news um for me i mean the announcement of the old world was very exciting but i was also very trepidatious about it um in that and i still am to be frank in that the details are still so obscure that I'm not ready to completely commit to it as far as like, oh yeah, I'm super excited. Um, Games Workshop has a bit of a, you know, they, they, they have a lot of reputations and many of them are negative um, to, be, to be very honest about the company. Um, and I still do not feel secure that Warhammer the Old World is going to be a great thing. Um, I have hopes for it. I think it's totally fine to hope for it, but I also take everything they do with a grain of salt until I have the ability to see all the details. Um, I think when they revealed that they were going to be stepping back in time, initially I was disappointed, but the more I've, time I've spent with it, frankly, the more excited I get. Um, I've been very happy with many of the details I've been reading, as far as the fact that, you know, it's it's based on the same model scale, it's square bases. When the game comes out, all of the old fantasy models are apparently going to be legal to use. Yes. Um, so you can you can use your old armies. That was a huge win for the Definitely. community. Um, that made me, I, frankly, that was probably the thing that made me go from like, I don't know, to like, okay, I'm down. Like, I'm in. Um, the, the latest uh, news article they did where they confirmed like the it was quite a funny article I, I, or in my memory um, where they said like square bases of course and the 28 millimeter scale the orcs will be orcs uh, all that stuff that was for me the, the tipping point where I went from okay maybe there's a small chance to okay this is starting to look you know there's there's still a chance they'll do something that we all well, won't like, to say it nicely. Um, 
but that was for me at least the point where I was like, okay, it went from a little chance to to something that's becoming tangible. You know, they confirm a lot of the the fears um, that we're living. You know, with different scale, different size bases, uh, whatever. And and they said like, no, it's it's at least on those few items, it's going to be the same as we are used to from older Warhammer Fantasy Battle versions. I would say three things about the old world that are very important. And the number one thing is that so far, so far, it seems that Games Workshop is very keenly aware that the fantasy community, they want the fantasy community back. You know, um, it, for anyone that, like, um, I, I speak to a lot of people who have been involved with, who have worked for Games Workshop in the past. Um, I even have spoken with people that work for them um, now. And there was, you know, there was a whole thing where Games Workshop never want. You don't have to go back that far to be with a Games Workshop that never wanted to bring back fantasy because they'd have to admit they were wrong to get rid of it in the first place. Um, you, you know, you're you're dealing with this bizarre situation where the company completely killed the game, and then various video games kept it alive. Whether you're talking about Vermintide or Total War Warhammer or others. Uh, but those two being, of course, the big ones. And um, the community just kept growing and growing and growing. And then by the time Warhammer and Vermintide 2 came out, um, the Warhammer fantasy community is massive. And um, almost bigger than it was when the damn game was actually alive. And so suddenly you have this company going, oh, look at all this money we're losing because we're not supporting this IP anymore. Um, and so now they're trying to come back into it. But I think and hope that they are keenly aware of how badly burned the fantasy community was by the move to do the end times. Um, and that it makes it difficult to trust them as a company. You know, it, it, it's difficult to be like, um, I, do I want to commit to a game that they could just trivially decide isn't making enough money or just, you know, for whatever reason, decide to take it out back and shoot it. Um, and I think that coming out and saying, no, it's the same size as it used to be, you can use all your old minis, was a genius move. Because it's not them coming out and saying, you have to spend $1,000 to play this game. It's saying, you're going to buy a book, probably one giant book, maybe two or three, and you'll be able to take out all your old minis off the shelf, dust them off, and uh, start playing games again. And that's it's, it's a masterstroke, frankly. Um, and I hope they continue to go that direction. Um, however, I uh, the other two things I would say is, number one, um, do not expect this to be the Warhammer Fantasy you remember. It won't be. Um, there will be similarities. It will be in the same universe. But there are already significant changes being made to the lore, being made to the geography, um, and likely being made to the gameplay itself. It will still be identifiable as Warhammer Fantasy, but if you go in expecting a one-to-one -one resurrection, you're going to be disappointed. So I would encourage you not to do that to yourself. Don't set yourself up for failure. Manage expectations. Is it not a thing, Sotek, that some people will be extremely upset if they just reprinted 8th or 6th? And some people will be really upset if they do something... Completely new. It's, it's a hard, it's a hard set of expectations. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a no-win scenario. No matter what you brought back, people were going to be pissed. 
and I think they're making the right choice of striking a balance of, hey, let's go back in time 200 years so we can do something similar but not the exact same and nobody can bitch about it because they never explored the Great War Against Chaos. I mean, I got to say, I am so excited for the Great War Against Chaos. I mean, it's literally the World War One of the Warhammer Fantasy Universe, and it was never explored. Never. There are no books about it. <laughs> you can't buy any books about the Great War. There are no video games about the Great War. Even uh, Mark of Chaos, which was kind of about it, takes place after Asvar Kool has already died. Um, so like the fact that we're probably going to get to, we actually get to play through world war one of Warhammer fantasy is so exciting. Um, but, uh, the third thing I would say to everyone is that if you are an, a very, very old hammer fan, I think you should be incredibly excited because they are bringing a lot of things back. They've already confirmed they're bringing things back that did not exist. Even if you go back to fifth edition. Um, and if you are from newer Warhammer, you're going to get to see a lot of things that you're going to go, what the hell is that? And someone's going to go, oh, that was Warhammer when I was little. And you're going to go, what? And hopefully it'll be fun. Like, we know they're bringing back centaurs. We know they're bringing back half-orcs. We don't know how they're bringing them back, but they've already confirmed they are. So we have models returning from third edition. That Hobhounds mentioned. Yeah, Hobhounds. Like, we have all these crazy things coming out, and it, it's going to be a whole new world. Um, and the biggest thing I want to try and encourage people is it's fine to be excited. It's great to be excited. I encourage it. Just manage your expectations because the thing I would hate the most is for any community to get super hyped about an ideal and then be very disappointed when what comes out isn't what they imagined in their heads. You know, I, I mean, I couldn't agree more, but for me, whatever game system they come out with, I don't think they'll do the same again as what they did when when the first Age of Sigmar came out. You know the the weird rules that most no, no, no. players hated. So for me, the the way I look at the old world is there's a real chance I get to take my old armies or at least some of them and play a new game system with it that will be hopefully similarly enough to what I know and love and like and still play. But new enough to not be the same because, you know, I can still play Warhammer 8 Edition. I don't need to have a new army for that. Um, so for me, ideally, it would be, as you describe it, in between whatever we know and something completely new in a setting that's somewhere, no, you know, that, that we know some bits of, but has enough potential to get new stuff. Um, and most of all, and that's what I'm really hoping for, that there will be new models that I can use in my current armies because I haven't really bought a lot of Games Workshop models in recent years for that exact reason. Um, and that's something I'm looking forward to, to get new stuff added to my existing armies without having to go to, without de degrading the work that's done to the army, uh, Warhammer Armies project and stuff like that. But, you know, to have an officially supported game that will have... Um, Ranges coming out from I don't know how many companies. Hopefully, that's that's, that's my ideal situation. Well, that definitely gives me like multiple thoughts, right? And and maybe the first thought that I had actually from what we were talking about when you were saying there's going to be a lot of players who are going to be unhappy if they do this. There are going to be a lot of players if they're going to be unhappy if they do that. Um, you got to understand, GW does market segmentation, customer segmentation all the time, right? And part of the move away from Warhammer Fantasy Battle was bluntly that Warhammer Fantasy fans 
were low income, high effort and stress. They complained a lot. They were, you know, part of that whole generation of war gamers that are often referred to as grognards. And I think it's important because the the community when they when you I want to do a high handed religious metaphor here, but I'll keep it minimum because I know you guys don't vibe with me when I do this. But like everyone who's splintered off into the ninth age and all these other places. They're going to look at this product. They're going to read the PDFs of it that they find online, maybe spuriously. They are not necessarily going to convert into paying Forge World customers, um, especially when they don't like some aspects of what they're presented because they already don't like some aspects of every single square base rank and flank game system, of which there are now five in the post end times era. So I think that headache and the kind of constant continued splintering of, of wargaming communities between systems, um, I think this isn't going to be a magic bullet that's going to bring back some of the people they want to bring back. I think this is primarily a means by which Forge World will sell resin bears to Total War Warhammer fans. Oh, God, please let them be plastic. And oh, God. <laughs> Well, look, and, and, and I was fascinated to see that was being discussed because I think for Forge World to be flag carrying for this game system and yet with Horus Heresy, the game system that they are fundamentally inextricably linked to, the only game system Forge World has ever been able to authentically make a profit off, um, they have fundamentally handed over quite a lot of their basic space marines to mainstream games workshop because it was too popular for games workshop to ignore and now you can get plastic tartarus terminators and plastic cataphracti terminators and all that kind of stuff i think that's important because the real question i have about the game is is it going to be a means by which to sell new forge world ranges and if so what are those going to be we're inevitably going to get a big ass of our call we're probably going to get a, a nice, cool-looking... Is it Magnus the Pious? Sotek, yeah. is he the Emperor yes. who beats Asavakul? We're probably going to get a pretty cool um, Magnus the Pious at some point. But fundamentally, are we going to get remasters of the Empire in Chaos Warriors range? Are the, the plastic legacy Chaos Warriors and Chaos Knights going to move into Forge World as Slaves to Darkness plows off into the future? Like There are so many different ways this could play out and part of me feels like the one thing I know for sure is that they're going to sell miniatures that they designed with Creative Assembly to start with. And if they're commercially successful with their Kislev range, will do well. And if they're not, then none of this stuff is going to happen. Here's a hot take, though, Chits. Here's a hot, hot take. Is there going to be a Forge World? Mm. Is Forge World even going to be a thing by then? Because all the Forge World is doing at the moment, from where I'm sitting, is slowly but surely closing up shop. And we're seeing those, those Horus Heresy kits moving over to the main studio. And we're hearing that this game is being a Forge World slash Games Workshop studio thing. I really, really wouldn't be surprised, and I'm, I'm probably going to be wrong on this, but I wouldn't be surprised if around the time of this game being released is when Forge World ceases to be an entity and is swallowed up by Games Workshop proper. So let me tell you all what I know. Um, because there's a there's all if if you if you know where to listen, there's a lot of little interesting things out there about Warhammer the Old World. Um, the biggest things are that um, as far as Forge World, uh, I agree it's gonna be very interesting to see what happens with Forge World over the course of the next year. 
um, because there are two prevailing theories. Um, the first theory is uh, very similar to yours, which is that Forge World um, is basically being put out to pasture, or sh not put out to pasture, but th they're being hyper-focused, and they're no longer going to be nearly as much of a standalone entity as they used to be, um, which does seem in line with what's going on lately. Um, like, we know that Horus Heresy is basically getting, like, a 2.0 release in the very near future, and despite the fact that it's, like, kind of Forge World, it's going to be, sounds like, mostly, if not entirely, plastic, um, which seems to heavily insinuate that Games Workshop is taking over. Um, and without Horus Heresy, like, what is Forge World, right? <laughs> so, um, uh, and... Um, and then the and that so the you know one of the theories there is that Forge World is simply going to be absorbed um, uh, and be used to make you know products, but they're no longer going to be doing their own weird resin garbage out in the back at shed. Um, I can't believe that you're going to disrespect the mighty army of Dunland from Middle Earth Strategy Battle Game with I, that brutal take, Sotek. <laughs> Don't you know that Forge World has a Warhammer Age of Sigmar section? It's got almost five miniatures in it. <laughs> yes, I, I own I own the one that I needed, and I God, I hate resin. I hate it so much. I just I don't understand why they ever thought it was worth it. Um, yeah, like I I I love my Morngul. Don't get me wrong, but oh my God, uh, I I just that's so interesting. I would have thought for sure it would be the Dread Saurian. What no? I'm not buying such a big hunk of whatever that is. You kidding? <laughs> wow. I can pay my student loans for a month for the price of that mini. I got better yeah. things to do. Yeah, that's the thing about Forge World. Well, I, sorry, yeah. I interrupted you. You No, no, you're all you're all good. If I ever want to use a Dread Story, I'll buy a stuffed animal and put it on the table. Uh, but <laughs> yeah, uh, when it when it comes to um, Forge World, the other prevailing theory is that the Warhammer fantasy range is so big. Like there's so much Warhammer, the old world stuff coming that Forge world is literally having to completely empty out all of their stock and warehouse, stop selling everything, get rid of all their old prints um, so that they can make space for it. And that right. they're going to be releasing just a, a, just a cataclysmic amount of stuff. Those are the two big theories. Um, because something's going on over there, and they are they are emptying out. It might be wishful thinking, but to me, that sounds much more much less plausible than the first. Yeah, and um, I mean, personally, I would rather that Games Workshop just combine everything back under themselves and be more consistent on the quality of their minis. Yes. Um, because resin can literally die in a fire. Um, as far as I'm concerned, um, at least the kind of resin that Fortwell does. Resident Fine Cast can just go die and be forever <laughs> yeah. forgotten. Um, but um, I, I'd rather work with metal minis than those. And that, if you know, if you know my history with metal minis, that is a damning statement. <laughs> but um, but here's the thing about the old world. Uh, number one, uh, we will have significant details coming very soon. Um, I've heard from a very reliable source that before the end of the year, we're supposed to see actual minis. Ooh, serious. Like, revealed, not buyable, but, like, showing them off. Yeah. Um, and uh, the big thing is that if uh, watching how Games Workshop is handling the release of the old world, I believe they are taking a tactical approach. Um, I, I agree with uh, Chitskoy as far as, like, I don't think they're going to just be like, here's the freaking, here's the universe, have fun. 
I think it's going to be a little more tactical than that. And um, what it seems likely they're going to do right at the outset is that they're going to probably release a large book that just gives you rules and points for like everything, right? Um, so that if you have all your old fantasy minis, probably mostly just the minis from 8th edition, um, they're going to have rules. Um, and so you can play them and have fun. But as far as new releases go, um, they're going to be starting, uh, it seems, with just the old world. Um, as But that's why they've been slowly filling in that map. And A, the old world is larger than it used to be um, <laughs> as far as like where they define the borders. Um, and second of all, um, the races that are involved in the old world are new or are different where we see Kislev has a much larger empire to make way for them being a playable faction. We see that the High Elves have enclaves um, in Bretonia and just off the shores of Bretonia, which was not a thing uh, back in the day. That's significant to allow High Elves to be playable. Uh, we have Greenskin tribes being specifically marked in on the map. We have uh, Bretonia being very clearly defined. The Empire being very clearly defined as four different groups. And I think what's going to happen is, honestly, they're going to come out. I think they're going to drop Kislev versus somebody. Uh, yeah. pro probably Chaos or... Um, it it's probably going to be Chaos. But uh, they're going to do, like, Kislev versus someone's going to be a big box. That's going to be the first... Because they like doing that, right? Games Workshop's favorite hat trick right now is they drop a really fat box that's worth two to 300 bucks. It sells out in two milliseconds. And they then released the actual game six months after that. <laughs> um, unless it's called Dominion. <laughs> yeah. Yes, unless it's Dominion. Um, but, uh, you know, hopefully they behave themselves with it and we get more of a Dominion style release and less of yeah. a everything they've been doing in 40K style release. Um, those 40K boxes are absolute idiot. I hate those things. They're so obnoxiously uh, like the Beast Naga box. But, um, the the thing I think the races I would expect to see get full armies like get like legit releases um, very very quickly are going to be Kislev, Bretonia, the Empire, um, uh, Chaos. Though I don't know how Chaos is going to be designed. As far as I haven't heard any consistent rumors if it's going to be like hordes of Chaos back in like sixth edition where you had like beastmen, demons and mortals all together, or if it's going to be like eighth edition where beasts of uh, beastmen, warriors and demons were all separate. Um, oh, I hope it's one big army. Um, you know, we'll have to wait and see on that. But um, the Kislev and Bretonia are probably going to be like the big chads, like the, the hardcore they're going all in on these to give them really, really fancy ranges to really prod the community to see how much they're willing to go in on. Um, which I, I think as long as the the game is fun to play, it's probably going to be a riot as far as how successful it is. Um, I have never seen more hype for fantasy than there is right now. I mean, you can even go into 40K communities and the amount of Space Marine players who are sitting there all going like, for the lady, for the lady, for the lady in the background just waiting for Bretonia is nuts. Um, There's a real question for you, right? Well, and this is quite technical, but bear with me on this. So there's a number of legacy Warhammer Fantasy battle kits 
that are still available as part of Cities of Sigmar and a couple of other ranges. Now, for people like Seraphon, that's done and dealt with and established. We know what that is. But the Empire is covered under this ludicrous free guild construct that has not been explored or meaningfully done anything with in AOS. And large parts of the range have been removed for not being extreme or interesting enough. But plastic handgunners, plastic state troops of all kind, great swords, all of that stuff is available, but it's available on the GW storefront. Do you think that they are going to have a position where Forge World is pushing the Empire, but then telling people to buy plastic kits from the GW web store, not the Forge World one? Or do you think they're going to somehow move those legacy kits across into Forge World's store and kind of cross-sell it there? What do you think is the future for these legacy kits? So what I think is that I genuinely 100% believe that Games Workshop intentionally is going to promote cross-play between AOS and Warhammer the Old World. Where I think yeah. they're going to say, hey, buy Demons of Chaos and you can play every freaking game under the sun. Buy Lizardmen and you can play Seraphon. Buy these Cities of Sigmar kits and you can play the Empire. Um, I, I think they are intentionally going to play that angle as hard as they can. Um, now, well, if they were going to play it as hard as they can, then they'd be doing circular base frames that allow you to put your circle-based Age of Sigmar infantry into a square base format, which we understand that they're not currently planning to do. But I agree with you. And I think that actually has a big blowback for us as a fandom, because that's why a lot of us think that the Oathbreakers are not going to be like the Lumineth Realm Lords were. We think they're going to be pretty close to Hashutim that we would know and understand with big hats and curly beards on the basis that we expect, given Zorna's Kull and some of the, um, some of the Darkland stuff has been shown on the Kislev map, we think that cross-play using the Oathbreakers range is the most likely Chaos Dwarf miniatures situation for the Old World, but that's just us guessing in the dark. And, well, and here's the thing that's also important to note, is that not all minis are going to be able to cross, and I think Games Workshop is keenly aware of that, in the sense that I don't think you're going to see them... In, like, let's take Chaos Dwarfs as our example here. I don't think you're going to see them holding back on a Chaos Dwarf AOS design so that it is viable in um, the old world. The only thing I would worry... Uh, let's take Slanesh as a good example. The new Hedonites of Slanesh range, if you go and you measure all the minis, were very carefully designed so they fit on square bases um, of the appropriate caliber. So, like, the Blissbarb archers fit on your, um, uh, your 20 millimeter bases, your Miramidesh uh, fit on your 25s, your Slongors fit on your 40s, um, stuff like that, where I I don't... No one can say for sure um, how much they're planning that, or maybe... But they seem to be trying to keep things a consistent model scale. Because there was a while in Age of Sigmar where... I don't know if everybody, um, anyone here was played in first edition AOS, but there was a while where AOS was just getting bigger. Everything was bigger. 
like most basic troops that were released in AOS were designed for 40 millimeter bases because they were so freaking big. Um, and then there was a point where they started pulling back and started making it where regular sized troops were going back to 20 millimeter and uh, 25 millimeter square base size. Um, but the thing is, is that Games Workshop at the end of the day is going to do whatever they can to try and encourage people to spend as much money as possible. And what I would not at all be surprised for them to do is to say, hey, you, you know, that's cool that you got those handgunners um, on those AOS bases. Shame you can't play them in fantasy for rank and file until, and then they're going to be like, look at this tray. This tray is designed so that it makes your unit as if they were the proper size of being 10 guys in formation for square bases. And they've just got little holes and you just slot your guys into the holes. Boom. Now you can play them in both games. Um, only because you could do that already. But why do that when you could just make people buy the miniatures twice? And, you know, they might do that too. But, like, I mean, I'll, like, for my Lizardmen, <laughs> the way I do my Lizardmen is I build them on square bases and then I buy 3D prints that are the AOS bases with squares cut into them that they slot into perfectly so that I can use them in both games. Um, and it's super easy. Um, Games Workshop will likely not try to do that. Uh, you're right. They are probably going to want people to do both bases. But, you know, they're also not idiots. You know, uh, they know that there are people out there who are going to immediately start magnetizing their bases or um, making it so that they do the system that I use. And, um, you know, Games Workshop, at the end of the day, is a company and they're going to do everything in their damn power to take advantage of consumers. So, Yes, be aware of that. There may be some skeevy shenanigans um, between AOS and uh, Old Fantasy, but, you know, that's just business, unfortunately. And it's one of those things that we as a community will try have to try and ingenue it, you know, try and be, um, create ways around. But um, I, I, I do think that um, unless they just have a colossal mishandling between now and release, which is a hundred percent possible with them. Um, Gates workshop loves to come out of left field and do bizarre shit that pisses off everybody, you know, totally not like they haven't done something like that very recently. Cough, cough, hack, but uh, like the old world has a great bit of potential. Um, I think the more they lean into allowing cross play, um, not necessarily making it easy, you know, just like if you played, you know, it's gonna be exactly like if you played demons back when fantasy was alive, if you played demons of chaos, when fantasy was alive, if you wanted to play them in 40 K, you need uh, circle bases. If you wanted to play them in fantasy, you need square bases and the demon community just kind of dealt with it. Um, it's probably going to be very similar for us in the fantasy and AOS community, because there are going to be a ton of people that just play one game and don't give a shit. Um, you know, for them, what do they care? Um, it's only going to matter for people that want to have the world and eat their cake too. Um, but um, I, I do think overall it's going to be an exciting time. I, I really hope that Chaos Dwarfs are... I, I think y'all are going to be one of the lucky few that are going to be included in the old world very, very quickly, seeing as they already have um, y'all on the map, um, as Kislev seems to literally have drawn its borders between Uzkalak and mm -hmm. Zardnagrin. So I'm not exactly sure how that works, but I'm sure we'll find out. <laughs> what you're saying is we're going to be in the old world launch box. Get hype. 
Oh man, that, <laughs> wouldn't that be like such a such a twist? Fuck, Scoot. If they, I mean, hey, I wouldn't put it past them to be honest. Games Workshop is intentionally trying to release things to coordinate with Total Warhammer Three. Who knows? Who knows? They might come out and be like, "Hey, look, Kislev versus Chaos Wars box." buy the box and there's a code inside that gives you 50% off on Warhammer 3 and also the Chaos Dwarf DLC. Like, that would sell. Um, and oh, I, I hope they don't, mate, because that would be so mainstream and I'm such a hipster. I'm going to have to quit the podcast if I do that. Yeah, it never, it never came up so tech, but like, this whole impending golden age of Chaos Dwarfs that we're supposed to be super excited for, like, we, we are, but also we're super not because it's like, don't don't ruin our cute little community with like the same 50 people who comment on the discord every day but in reality we should be so lucky as to have that problem but oh uh, yeah, don't worry I, you'll, you'll, cool. I, I i'm i'm sure you'll be doomed to have the same problem i do where i absolutely love the lizard man except for like those two or three little nitpick things that make me really mad <laughs> it's, it's it's a curse if we didn't have that stuff it wouldn't keep us all going this the spice yeah. of life hating gw and resenting their business moves and Nevertheless, loving the Asgore range. That's how it all works. Yeah, but uh, the good news is, I, I mean, I, I have a lot of faith in the source I heard it from that we should be seeing, like, the actual quality of models and, like, what the hell they're made out of, who's printing them, and all of that stuff very soon. That's so promising. That really is. That's lovely to hear. Now, I don't think Warhammer the Old World's coming out for, like, at least another year and a half. Yeah. Best case scenario, that was I think that was before the pandemic. <laughs> so, um yeah. God God only knows when it's actually coming out, but you know, we'll just have to wait and see. But you know, like my, my wish list, <laughs> should that should I have such a thing? My wish list is so small. My wish list is a nice rule book and some kind of ravening hordes either within that book or as an extra book to play my armies with. If they print that, I'll buy it. You know what I mean? That that that's 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 my wish list. So anything extra I get up above and beyond that, it's all good. And the way I see it as well, new models. If I don't like them, I don't have to buy them. I've got the old models. If I do like them, I will buy them. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. Well, and start, hopefully I don't get upset about it anymore. <laughs> Games Workshop has been doing a really good job lately, and I hope they keep up with it of releasing models of such high quality and like beautiful design that even when they are models that people are like oh well i already own that i own an older version they're still looking at them going damn i really want that and hopefully they keep doing that that way they're because we you know nobody wants them to turn into the assholes they used to be and sometimes kind of still are where they say something like oh you can't use your old stuff you have to use modern stuff you know we we want they should be getting us to open our wallets because we can't resist, not because we're being threatened. Yeah, a friend of mine said something about this a little while ago, and it really resonated with me. And, you know, said about how uh, a lot of the design choices in the Age of Sigma has been changing things for the sake of changing things, changing things for the IP moves and all that kind of stuff. And he said he missed the time when Games Workshop sold more orcs and goblins than anyone else because they made better orcs and goblins than anyone else and they were confident that they did i'd love that you know yeah sure there are a hundred different companies making blokes with swords and shields but we make the best blokes with swords and shields that's what you want don't you well you know at the end of the day 
if games games workshop should you know we know they're wary of competitors and 3d printer hobbyists best way to counter that is just release models of such god godlike quality that you just can't beat it that's it just do the best miniatures in the world which you know quite frankly they have previously haven't they and probably in many ways it's a much more competitive marketplace than it was 10 20 years ago but in many ways they still do i mean it's it's not as much of an easy statement as it used to be, but uh, competition's great for us, for consumers. Yeah. Competition's for a it hobby. Competition, yes, good. it's healthy. It's good, absolutely. It gives us choices, and it also forces them to keep on top of their game and to give us what we want. Which you know, I mean, we, their we, biggest we problem was going to be that years ago, before three D printing was a thing, that they could just, you know, use their the size of the company to get the, the molds they have to make for all these models. Well, cheaper than any small company ever could. Um, that business model just won't work in these days because all the smaller companies are just doing the SDL thing where they just make a digital model and they sell that to you so they don't even have to make molds. Um, so I don't believe that they will be able to compete with all the um, competition in, in that way. Um, but yes, I mean, still, they could just consistently up their quality and, and, you know, sell armies. Because I know a lot of people would rather have the right, between quotes, the right model um, and then have... Yes, yeah. Well, you're like, I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll fully admit I'm stingy when it comes to that. Like, you know, there's a lot of companies that are 3D printing Lizardmen. But I just, I really haven't been a fan of any of them. Um, like, I just don't like the material, and they just don't look the way I want them to. And, like, so... You've seen Lost Kingdom models. Well, I, I have looked at Lost Kingdoms. Um, very, very familiar with Lost Kingdoms. Um, and, like, I bought one of their minis, and I just, it just wasn't, wasn't really... For me, it's just not the same. You know, like, there's, there's, there's almost something magical to, like, getting a really good GW model. Or it's just that I really like working with plastic so much that I just can't handle it. <laughs> I don't know which one it is. The stuff that comes off my printer would react and work with the same as a plastic model would. But, well, you know, price is a thing too. And the, the stuff coming off my printer is like maybe a fifth or a tenth of the price of a Games Workshop model. So for them to get my money, they have to make stuff that I either can't print or won't print because of... Well, it's, as you guys say, just do awesome. Yeah, and, and that's the thing, right? Is that they need to compete with it, not try to, like, force everyone out, out of the space. Yeah. Right, so there we go. That's, uh, <laughs> we don't know. <laughs> Always the way the album was. We don't know, but, but we're starting to know more. Yeah, and that was really cool. Thank you. I think, you know, you see it in a very distinctive, different, classic Warhammer Fantasy Battle fan way. And I think you've really added something to our dialogue that, because we have spoken about the old world before, whenever new news is dropped, and we've spoken about AOS and the future and all that kind of stuff. But it's really interesting hearing your take on it. And I do think it is distinctive and people will appreciate it. Right, awesome. Yeah, so there's some, uh, there's some uh, new information there, some information from uh, sources that we haven't had access to before. So it's very, very... Eddie's going to laugh at me, but it's very interesting. It's a very interesting time. Um, next thing we were going to talk about, gentlemen, is we were going to talk about Cows Dwarfs aren't here yet, as in these Oathbreakers or these 
old world cast dwarfs that we're expecting to see at some point in the future. They're not here yet. But we do have an awful lot of plastic kits on offer by Games Workshop that are still usable for Chaos Dwarf collectors. Now, there are many who will say, just use third party. And, and there are amazing, amazing third party options out there. But there are others who like to create armies that are 100% Games Workshop. It might be as an aesthetic thing, it might be as a collecting thing, or it might be because you attend official Games Workshop events and stuff where you need to have that as a, as a requirement for your army. So it's well worth looking at the various plastic kits on sale from Games Workshop right now that we as Chaos Dwarf collectors have either seen other people cut up and convert and use, or we have ourselves done it, or we can imagine it being done. Some of these kits come from 40k, some of these kits come from fantasy. Um, let's get stuck into them. Those of you who are doing this on YouTube, these will flash up on the screen. Um, right, the first one, what was the first one we were going to look at? The Sector Mechanicus Valcat. Reva, you're going to have to say it, mate. Oh, so I'm, I'm going to get the, the word Scrabble duties today? That's fine. Uh, so <laughs> this one is the uh, Sector Mechanicus Galvanic Servo Haulers. For any of those interested, there's been a lot of use of these uh, on the discourse, on the Facebook page, actually yesterday, I believe. Uh, this kit has got three different uh, what, Adeptus Mechanicus style, um, and I believe it was first featured as terrain. I think it, it kind of re retains that uh, to this day, but they're very much... Uh, I mean, they're, they're converted by vast majorities of the community. They, orcs uh, for 40k have repurposed these. Uh, Skaven can repurpose these. But uh, there's definitely been, uh, I believe, Xander has repurposed these for uh, Cities of Sigmar. Uh, they have a lot of use. It's, uh, it's, it's just a veritable bits barrage of kind of various steampunk greeble and some interesting kind of tanks and, and really not too much work on stripping out call it the more uh electrical looking components if you're looking to bring it into a more fantasy realm i was just gonna say one thing that leaps out at me immediately not having interacted with the kit before is that the kind of front small little car sized thing has such a great scoop front that looks very train-like that it would make a great bed for an Iron Demon or even just that front section would make a good part for a more fully converted Iron Demon if you didn't want to use the Certainly, tracks. yeah, and uh, that that's what I did on, on that particular one. Uh, people will have who, who have followed the podcast will have seen the the ass cannon, which used uh, the large crane, the, uh, the ass cannon that I, I made for the last competition. Um, and, and that does have kind of a, uh, you know, crane on a, on rails. So it definitely has train, train vibes coming from it. And, and I think, I think it's a great kit and, and it's been really pretty affordable. And I think that's what brings it to, not that we're doing these in any preferential order, but in my opinion at the price point, it, it's coming in at, a, at, at terrain pricing. And I think that's a really strong thing. Whereas if you were to get you know, more of a centerpiece kit, you could easily see this coming in at a much higher price tag given the kind of the quality and, and the plastic that's been in it. Um, yeah, overall, I don't know if anybody else wants to comment anything, but it's it's got some great pieces. Uh, you could theoretically make up to three different uh, kind of war machines with it. And uh, yeah, there's plenty of very applicable cast worth inspiration from various folks on the forum who've used it in the past. 
Yeah, there really is. There really is. And and it's not the only piece of uh, Mechanicus uh, sector terrain that we've seen used, have we? Just in the last competition, we saw a cannon made from the other word scrabble, galvanic, atmospheric, cockwomble, whatever it was called. We saw that being used as a as a giant kind of cannon, didn't we? So I think what the Mechanicus stuff really has going for it is that it is at its heart really very steampunk. It's got one foot in the fantasy camp already. So as you said earlier, it's just a case of either getting rid of those electrical components or making those electrical components appear more magical in some way. But yeah, I think uh, there's a reason why we've seen this used a lot. Isn't Certainly. It? And yeah, just fishing through, there. there's a ton of those that probably all just deserve honorable mentions for for the purpose of the discussion today but yeah that was uh what was that the galvanic magnavent we have the yep there's the well uh where, what was my favorite one? Oh, ferritonic furnace that sounds really chaos dwarf applicable um but yeah certainly there's a lot to to look at there and and you might even be able to you know find those parts up um if, if you're not looking for the whole sprue but um yeah there, there's a lot to look at there in the admech range um and even just uh, some of the other various backpacks and whatnot that some of the uh, Skitari come with. So that that's a good range to explore, depending on the kind of aesthetic you're going for. Happens to line up with mine. Yeah, because, I mean, your Chaos Dwarfs um, certainly are, are quite a few steps along the tech tree further than mine, for example, aren't they? So they can draw upon a lot of that more steampunky 40k stuff a lot more than, than perhaps an army like mine can. But the next one you picked out, Reva... I think has a much more of an applicable thing to even a technologically unadvanced cast warp army. So it was the Night Horse, the Night, I can't pronounce anything today, can I? The Night Haunt Spirit Host. That one ain't even hard, is it? No. <laughs> yeah, I'm not, not going to help you out with that one. But um, these, uh, we recently just saw uh, Grass come up with. Uh, a really nice version of these to be used as fireborn. Yeah. Uh, and that's, that's a use as is. Uh, yeah. Oh, it, that's a cool idea. Really cool. We'll, we'll flash that's that up on cool. screen, but it was a very like used as is disposition. Um, you know, he was looking to get a, a good AOS force, I believe. And he cranked these out with a really awesome paint job and they work well. And it's, that's kind of a, the, the the straightforward use of them, but he implemented them to a very high degree, as he usually does, uh, always does. Um, but then even just as a kit, the, the conversion potential is really, really strong, too. Uh, so there's you can parts all these up and you get a ton of little flying spirit boys that could be ash magic or whatever you want for conversion. So that's all I, uh, the other thing I wanted to say. The only thing I wanted to add is I, I love spirit hosts. I, I use them quite a bit for my Nighthawn army. But I will say... These guys, if if you build them as they're like intended to go together, they're one of the most miserable kits still sold by Games Workshop. Really? They are such a pain in the ass to put together. <laughs> it is it is truly like if you go buy them from one of my local stores, they will literally tell you at the checkout lane. If you've never put together Spirit Host before, we will do a free tutorial for you. Because they are that much of a pain. And it is just genuine suffering putting them together sometimes. When, sometimes, they've, when they've gone together, do they hold together well? Or are they also super fragile? 
they're they're very wispy, which is a problem a lot of the night haunts have. But the problem um, that I will kind of illustrate when you look at, uh, you kind of pull up their picture and look at them, is that on every single one of their designs, except for the guy in the back right, but the guy in the front and the guy in the uh, on the left, is that only a single spirit is actually connected to the base. And then the other spirits are held up by the first spirit. And they all connect to each other. So it's this horrible, like, dog pile of just this really thin little part stitched together. Um, the guy in the front center is notorious because the only thing holding him up is his back goes into the spirit behind him. And then that little wispy part of his that comes out in front connects to the bit above the skeleton. That's it. <laughs> and then the guy behind him is only held up by that guy and then has his back pressed against the really, really tall guy. And they're so long and wispy that for the amount of connection they have, they're very, very heavy. So it is genuinely difficult. You have to get them at just the right angle to be able to press together and it's it's just it's just agony i can't describe it other than just saying it's pure that's agony. fantastic to hear yeah uh i have no i had no idea i i own the whole kit it's probably one of the few kits that i bought exclusively to not put together any two pieces that belong together properly and and i would never have known <laughs> i never would have known yeah, I, I would highly recommend if you get spirit hosts and you're going to use them for a conversion, do not put them together the way they're intended. Just kit bash them hardcore because putting them to together the way they're intended will have you contemplating doing terrible things. Still, compared to the uh, the previous incarnation of spirit hosts, it looked a little bit like uh, people trick or treating in their dressing gown, didn't they? <laughs> oh yeah, they look great. They look great. I'm still, I was thinking the exact same thing. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> do you know what, though? I've just thought of another use for these. Um, just because they're spirits don't mean they're dead, does it? It means it could be demons and stuff, but like what Grask was doing, right? I could see these being a very, very cool effect coming out of a smoke funnel. Can you imagine like a, a Chaos Dwarf engine, and instead of having yeah. smoke rising from it, having the smoke, but the smoke is spirits and demons curling around and screaming and stuff? I'm not going to do it, but... Someone oh, you might at some day, some point. <laughs> Anything else to say about the spirit host, gents? No? We'll crack on. Alrighty. Uh, next thing we have here, uh, this was a selection from Chits. The, uh, and, and we kind of brought up them in discussion earlier. Uh, the classic Hammerers kit. Uh, one of the you know kits carrying over from, from Warhammer Fantasy in, in, in truth. And uh, as we kind of discussed a bit, questionable how long they might remain on the web store so i don't know chits you want to bring up anything i know you've uh you might have some and are contemplating using them in various ways yeah look i think i think you come to the hammerers kit for two very specific things and then there is a third handy bonus thing number one this is the scale mail this kit for a chaos dwarf collector is about the torsos right the torsos are fantastic because they don't have an integral beard in the way that um, Infernal Guard torsos have an integral beard, right? Which means you are presented with heavily armoured, with a scale male lower half, which is very dwarfy, but it's not covered in runic symbols and elaborate stuff in the way that the Iron Drakes and other kits of that type are. 
So that is advantage A. Advantage B, depending on how good your plastic surgery skills are, look at those helmets. They are flat on top. What you are oh. looking at is the perfect starter for make your own pinhead big hat. If you want something plastic that you can convert into a pinhead big hat, and Sotek, for your purposes as a tourist, one of the most common things to do uh, on the forum is to use, I don't know what the name for the type of pin is, but the pins with the large, broad plastic top. Um, they call them drawing of... pins in England. Do you have a different name in America? I think they're just pins, ink pins. I know what you're talking about, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they're kind of big hat shaped, right? And then you just sculpt a face on the bottom of that or you chop the head off the top of um, a head that you want to use and then you stick that in and you've got either something to sculpt a big hat around or if you're just doing it unit filler, you've got the big hat itself. That's so. Amazing. These flat helmets, they are a bit runic in their motif, but fundamentally you can either file that off or just leave it on and then paint it up in a scary demonic way and their big hat can rise up from that flat top. At that point, in my view and the way that I'm handling it, you then convert the arms because I don't want all the runes that are on the big heavy armoured arms. I want to put, for instance, the arms of uh, Karadron Arkonauts on there, right? Who've got guns and swords. Um, there are some things about the kit that are not very useful. So most notably for that, the majority of the um, lower heads. So the beards are quite straight bearded. They're not curled. There is one good curled beard. You can see him in the front behind the banner bearer just to the left there. Um, but he's got a bare head that isn't necessarily hugely chaos dwarfy. So you are looking at doing some surgery to make these truly sing. Um, but that's what it's all about, right? So um, depending on how crafty you are with a knife, really, this is about taking key elements of the kit. But most importantly, taking the most reliable torsos. You can find these torsos in use for the famous immortals on the Dwarvish Mesopotamia blog uh, that friend of the podcast Tirano um, runs and creates. Um, everyone knows I can't shut up about how great I think those minis are, but he really demonstrates just how quickly the hammer a torso becomes fundamentally the chaos dwarf torso for you to then convert onwards the rest of the parts. Alrighty, uh, what we're doing here is really scratching the surface. Anybody should really go take a look at 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 Tereno's blog there. With uh, you know, we couldn't even really begin to discuss all of the various. Uh, very niche part sourcing he's done from yeah, dark elves over to dark Eldar <laughs> and and everywhere in between. So no, that's not that. I mean, yeah, you're right. But the weirdest thing that Tirano has ever done, he's written about this. He took the face plates from the half of the Blood Bowl team that have face plates on them, and he removed those face plates from their heads, and he bought enough. Blood Bowl teams to cover a whole regiment of 20 Immortals. It's crazy. Utterly dedicated, isn't he? There's not enough money in the world, let alone patience for the <laughs> trimmers. But, yeah. You're absolutely right. He's, he's a legend in his own lunchtime, Reva. So I think we can go on to the next one. Um, and this we've seen come up in, uh, in a competition. And really, that was a, a couple of competitions ago when we were uh, giant-themed. 
So we saw some cool conversions of that in, uh, by, uh, I believe that was uh, Lake Tide, is that correct? Yeah, I think it was, yeah. Um, so this is the uh, Fomoroid Crusher kit, which uh, kind of, I guess started in the Warcry range, which um, this is probably where the honorable mentions that have come out of Warcry uh, among some of those war bands, including a couple of our only AOS uh, Chaos Dwarfs to date. But um, in terms of this kit, uh, it, it's a good potentially unit filler or a giant for for conversion it's got a couple different head options which we were unaware of when we i think did the uh kind of uh podcast review of that competition um but certainly it's got a very good siege giant vibe uh out the box so um already chaos adorned with various uh symbols and kind of drapery so it's a good head start uh to move forward with some kind of conversion for sure yeah, it's a model I love. I mean, I love giant models anyway because they are just ubiquitous. They can turn up in almost any army. I could see this thing marching alongside Chaos Dwarfs, Chaos Warriors, Orcs and Goblins, you know, essentially anyone who's up to no good. And uh, a, a, a personal reason why I bloody love this model as well is uh, the war game that I play, uh, Arrow One, the giants have rules for being able to throw uh, boulders across the battlefield. He's just already, he's, there's no conversion required there, is there? He looks like he's about to do it. I mean, who would have thought that one of the coolest things to come out of the Asgore range would be the slave ogres who are loading the mortar, right? Yeah. But actually, they were like the missing piece that we never knew we, we needed. And with them in place, you've seen people, so we've got guys on the forum who've made whole slave ogre armies that are just run using the ogre rules but they're all completely converted up to very obviously be chaos dwarf um, slaves. Yeah, Baz. And yeah, and 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 everyone should check out his blog. By the way, it's fantastic. But this this crusher is great because you really would field it, and then there would be no questions why he'd shown up. Right? You're absolutely right, Oxy. Maybe he's even independently a creature of chaos or committed to chaos himself. But he's just so he's got a lot of the aesthetic. He's got that good armor. Um, but at the same time, he's got, you know, shackles around his legs. Um, there's there's a lot you could do with this. Yeah, there's options as well. There's more than one face for this. You can have it with his mouth open or closed and you can have the eye uh, guard on or off as well to actually show his eyeball if you so wish. And you know me, I never turn up the opportunity to faint a giant eyeball, do I? Glutton for punishment. On that <laughs> front. All right. Well, that brings us to kind of the last one that I, I wanted to talk about, and then we'll kind of transition to a couple more uh, that, that Sotek has uh, has pulled up for us. But uh, something that I've used uh, for uh, just one part of the kit, but I think it's kind of the kind of the big the big bull of the kit, so to speak. But that's the uh, endless spells for the Beast of Chaos uh, coming in with the the, the the flaming Taurus spell, and uh, that has I think pretty pretty applicable usage. Probably not too much to even to to bring up on it, but uh, it's a fiery bull. Uh, I think I, I I did it with uh, a sorcerer and of a pyromancer uh, riding it. Um, Oxy, I believe you you've used it in some capacity, and we've definitely seen it uh, for some even stranger conversions like pulling a flying chariot and, and other things. Um, certainly something that kind of <laughs> like the server haulers kit has been used fairly. Uh, you know, ubiquitously in the, uh, on the forum. So the the giant doom ball fire thing here, right? I remember when this was first a, um, a Warhammer community little leaked picture they do, didn't Me they? Me too. Part of it. Yeah. <laughs> I remember and that too. It, the whole community of our, our community was like, 
Chaos Dwarfs confirmed. It was like, calm down, boys. And it, and it wasn't confirmed either. But you know what, Reva? Um, this one was, uh, as, as you have a habit of doing, was one of the ones where you beat me in a, uh, in a golden hat competition. You get. And uh, I was so inspired by your uh, sorcerer on ball that I ended up going out pretty much immediately after that competition and, and buying the model. And the only thing I did slightly different was I didn't have a guy riding mine. I had a set of those old plastic dragon wings that used to come with all the different dragons. And I just, I just slapped those on there. And that's uh, in my Age of Sigmar army. That's my, uh, my great Taurus. But it's just, it's like, it's not designed for us. But it's so designed for us, isn't it? Right out of the box. That's a Chaos Dwarf creation, isn't it? Listen, all I'm going to say is I understand that the Beasts of Chaos, like, are animals. But why Why did they have to give them the a giant flaming bull? Like, yeah. why couldn't it have been a bull with, like, I don't know, made out of poisonous gas or chaos energies or something, but fire, come on. <laughs> it's even painted in a Hashiti way, right? Yes. If you yeah. look at the way that the studio have painted it, he's got the kind of magma lines coming in between the folds of the thing. It's just, it's a no brainer for us. Yeah, it was a painful misdirect. I don't care what they say. That is, that was a chaos dwarf thing just to, <laughs> just to make everybody mad. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's a it's a lovely model as well. It went together like a dream. It's a it's a good size as well. Like uh, I suppose where the monsters in Age of Sigmar have got a little bit big for my taste, but this isn't actually a monster. This is a spell. So when I use it as a monster, it's still quite conservatively scaled. I mean, it's gonna be it's gonna absolutely dwarf an original Lamassu or something, but it's not. It's not quote unquote centerpiece. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's it's like I think it's roughly in the ballpark of fifty millimeter. Um, yeah, square. Yeah, definitely. Um, now, Sotek, you've got a, a couple of suggestions that you'd like to discuss, haven't you, mate? I do. So um, the first one that I think is just an easy have if you just want like cool parts to add to your minis is the Fire Slayer Endless Spells. Um, so the fire sl or sorry, magmic invocations. They're not spells, they're Sick. prayers. Um, but the, the first one that I think is an easy pick is the um the the magma creature. Um I forget what it, it's the uh, the molten infernoth. The molten infernoth is just a big spiky lava monster literally pulling itself out of the ground. Yeah. Um, and that would probably be perfect for like a Kadai or a Kadai destroyer. If you wanted to put it on like a larger base or have it coming out of something like maybe stack some rocks and have it come out like of a mini volcano or something. Um, but I think it would be perfect for a Kadai or just some kind of big fire demon. Uh, cause that's literally what it is. <laughs> um, and then the Zargon flame spitter, which is just a big spew of acid coming out of the ground. Uh, you could add it on the, to the barrel of a lava cannon or just have it like coming out of a engine or something. But I think that would also just be like a really, I think these just give like really nice little elements um, to add to chaos dwarf models. Or if you're ever working on terrain, uh, if you use the runic firewall, um, I would probably just like cut off the actual runic parts or edit them to look like chaos dwarf runes. Um, as Kozilid and the Chaos Dwarf's own form of Kozilid are very, very similar. They just use a slightly corrupted form of it. 
and you could use that as like a barrier around some of your terrain pieces or add it onto the base uh, of a terrain piece to kind of give it like a cool theme and aesthetic. But I, I think all three of those endless spells could find a lot of mileage in a lot of Chaos Dwarf conversions. Yeah, I tend to agree. In fact, this kit was given away, wasn't it, as a uh, as a competition prize on Chaos Dwarfs Online, with it not even being a Chaos Dwarf kit. It just goes to show how it's sought after and used by Chaos Dwarf uh, converters. Yeah, I think the thing you've said that's really wrinkled my brain, Sotek, is looking at the Auric Hearthguard, because... I dislike the um, Slayer aesthetic in general, and I've always been a hard pass on Chaos Dwarf Slayers, which are a relatively common concept and relatively easy for other people to make. Um, Russian Alternative sells some, for instance. They're the only Russian Alternative Chaos Dwarf miniatures I've really not bought. Um, but then you're making me look at the kit with fresh eyes, and I'm just seeing how potentially chaosy those big dragon guns or whatever they are magic staves i'm not 100 sure but the flame uh, mentally yeah they're the the they're little they're yeah they're uh God, i forget what they're called too um but they're little lava spitters i saw those and the first thing i thought when i whenever i the first time i literally saw this mini um the arc Hearthguard, or they're called magma pikes that's right i looked at them and i was <laughs> like are those are those uh fire glaives <laughs> like this one i legit <laughs> just thought they were fire glaives um and I, I think for a lot of the Fire Slayer, like I didn't want to put like every single Fire Slayer model, but a lot of the Fire Slayers, a lot of their axes and weapons are so stylized that it's very, very easy to tweak them just a tiny bit to make them look super chaosy. Um, but I, I think the, uh, the, the Hearthguard stu stood out to me in particular because I really think that those uh, Magma Pikes would make amazing Fire Glaives. Yeah, no, you're right. They would. And and I think especially um, in a context where you're trying to create, you know, because because we run often Fireglaives and, and Chaos Dwarf Heavy Infantry in block units of 10. You know what I mean? These are not big regiments, right? So the the cost to buy yourself some Auric Hearthguard um, and then just have these guns would be plausible and, and workable. Um especially if you can do cuts on the hands, just take the hands off and then find some arms that will position neatly. Um, I think they'd be really cool. But I also think you're right. You know, I I don't like the range, but I do, when I look at the axes on um, the chosen axes, right? Um, especially the big one that the guy's got slung over his back. Really what I'm looking at there again, I'm thinking what you're saying, which is that is a hop, skip and a jump, almost even just a paint job to remove the most runic elements of it and then instead just have it be an ornate axe in some well-proportioned dwarf hands. Yeah, I mean, if you go look at the Arik Runemaster, the little staff he's holding that's all like got the smoldering fire coming out of it, you could literally run that as a staff of hashit and nobody would be able to tell. Makes, <laughs> like, a, yeah. makes a real nice hat. Have to I edit say it. that from experience. Yeah, or, yeah, or you could make it a hat. Oh yeah, that would make a great hat. Um, and like a lot of their helmets are very like, like draconic or beast themed. So like, yeah. 
guys, uh, what do they call them? Um, lodges and stuff of these guys out in the mortal realms who have fallen to chaos, haven't they? In one way yeah, there's before. there's one lodge I know of off the top of my head. I can't remember what they're called, but there is a single lodge that like full on fell to chaos, and they are literally like their like their flesh is made out of like crackled magma because they're so corrupted. But don't have playable rules, but are a cool concept. Yeah, yeah, I suppose you just run it as counters, wouldn't you? The only thing that's ever put me off of the Fire Slayers, well, there's a couple of things. I like, I personally like the old Warhammer Slayer aspect. One of the things is is the uh, the Mohawks being a hat as opposed to hair. Because I saw a picture, a bit of art, where one was getting hit by something, and his hat was falling off and the hair was going with it. And I thought, I always assumed that was his Mohawk pointing through his helmet, but it wasn't. <laughs> So I, w- I will thing. say, real Go quick, on. just real quick, from a lore perspective, it is their actual hair. Um, okay. But, but there are weird artist problems that have been happening with Games Workshop. I mean, God forbid, for one of the most recent things that nearly had my head explode is they had an artist do um, the Underworld's art for the Lizardmen Seraphon Warband, and he gave, he gave the Seraphon nipples. <laughs> How do lizards have nipples? Mr. Artist. Nice. There are some dodgy people on our board who will now be Googling that fan art, but not for the reasons that you think so, Tech. Oh, dear. They're very very small, unimpressive, completely anatomically incorrect. (laughs) But there was like a huge, huge amount of memes about it that I got so so many emails (laughs) that day. I got so many emails that day. Sorry, (laughs) carry on. Well, actually, you know, um, my, my next complaint was going to be not necessarily about nipples, so take, but it was going to be certainly nipple adjacent. The nudity. I'm not, and I'm not against the nudity in a kind of prudish sort of way. It's just they kind of, they're little dumpy guys with, with their bums out. Like, I've got a toddler and I've chased her down a hallway when she's refusing to have bath time. That's what I see in this Slayer. I mean, you <laughs> And when you're playing a video, when you're playing a um, a war game, you spend more time looking at the backs of your models than you do the front, don't you? So all I'm going to see is an army of toddlers running away at bath time. I'm not going to see an actual army. The battlesmith, yeah. I think, is the worst one for for just having literally nothing on. But I think it's to make the point about hammering the runes into their flesh and then they go, you know, don't they have baths in lava and all that kind of stuff? So, so the problem with the Fire Slayers, as just a quick aside, is they are, in my opinion, they are the perfect example of a race who had a concept taken way too far yeah, yeah. that was way too narrow. Yeah. Um, they would be a super cool race if like a notable part of the range were very Slayer-themed. But the fact that virtually nobody in the army wears armor is just completely idiotic. Um, it just, it just looks silly. Um, and it's like how, you know, one of the big things whenever they try, whenever the community talks about expanding the fire slayer range, how do you add to this army? If the concept is they all have to have mozaks and they all have to be naked. It makes it trousers. Yeah. Like, (laughs) like one of the things I am most desperately hoping for um, when we get the new dwarf book, which apparently they're combining all of the dwarfs into one army yeah. book. But one of the things that I'm really hoping for is to see 
fire slayers wearing armor as they re-encounter their other kin. <laughs> yeah. And some of them go, ah, I could have hardcore runes in my skin and wear armor. <laughs> and look, it, it works. But well, like, no tech. They're not combining all the dwarves into that army book, are they? But yeah, you're right. Like, uh, fundamentally... I think they're an interesting concept that has been taken too far. It's like Age of Sigmar take on a, an iconic unit, the Slayer, fine. But then they clearly didn't quite catch fire with the idea because it, they've only got, what, half a dozen actual miniatures? Yeah, they're one of the smallest ranges in the game. Uh, and they were one of the only ranges, I think they are the only range, in 2nd edition that did not get a new mini. Uh, they got new prayers, which were nice, and they got their terrain piece, which was nice. But everyone else got, like, at least a character. They didn't get anything. Um, oh, yeah, the pizza oven. Uh, yes, the pizza oven, which is actually surprisingly strong. <laughs> but uh, And also a very easy thing to convert to make look spooky. Um, just add, just add spikes here. But um, the, the last piece that I moved up is the, uh, the magma droth. Um, I will say I love the Magma Droth. I think it is one of the coolest models in AOS. Um, I actually have one that's primered, and I'm going to one day get around to finish converting it to functionally be a Stegodon uh, piece that'll run around right. with my Seraphon. But I think a Magma Droth would actually make a fantastic base to then convert into a Kadai Destroyer. Um, of just a big pissed off monster that you maybe if you want you could paint it to make it look like it's made of lava or you could paint it to make it look like it's made out of metal so it's like a living uh, metallic monstrosity which it actually does very very well especially because it's got like runes already in its skin so you can easily make it look like it's just a big moving automaton um, that's been designed to look like a big scary lizard. But, I mean, if you took this kit, uh, I think it would be very, very simple to just mess with a couple of other small kits and get something uh, really impressive looking. Plus, you get all of the little guys that come with it um, whose bits would do very well for other Chaos Wars, like the little the little uh, Rune Lord who's got the, the axe with the brazier on the top of it looks really cool. The throne you could take off of the Magma Droth and use the throne um on like a siege weapon piece so maybe like the overseer is like towering above the war machine so he has line of sight or something um i think there's a lot of really cool and fun things you could do with the kit overall but the magma droth i think would do exceptionally well for a kadai destroyer especially if you combined it um uh with pieces of other like monstrous kits maybe add something from uh, just off the top of my head, like if you wanted to add like wings from some of the flying monster kits or take like a mutilative vortex beast and add a lot of those really nasty corruptive parts to it to give it little tentacles and stuff, I, you could have a lot of fun with it. Nice. So it's, it's a very cool kit. And do you know what? It, it's a kit that I have definitely, looking at it now, been guilty of overlooking, seeing it and not seeing it. And so, so I take this might upset you uh, as, as the lizard man guy on the podcast today, but I think it's because in Age of Sigmar, I kind of got big reptile fatigue. 
<laughs> I, no, I don't. I don't blame you. There was a lot of that in First Dead. Yeah, like uh, the these these Sigmarines, they had a big reptile they rode into battle, and so did these dwarfs. And then when Slaves to Darkness got released, they had a big reptile they were riding around, and they were these funny names, and I couldn't. I couldn't have told you which one was which. Do you know what I mean? It all kind of blurred in my mind. But I hadn't really fully appreciated this is like a, a proper fire demon. I hadn't. I'd just seen Big Lizard and kind of switched off. But it is very usable. Yeah, first edition was the age of dinosaurs, which as the dinosaur faction, I will say, pissed me off in more ways than I can express. <laughs> the amount of the amount of factions that stole our thing, quote unquote, yeah. was yeah. absurd. Freaking daughters of Cain taking all my snake crap, and then uh, chaos taking all my big dinosaurs and stuff. Oh, the saltiness was at very high levels. <laughs> I think also the fact that like Seraphon didn't actually get very much that was new. No, they didn't. They didn't. Completely no, but I mean, in our defense, we do have the largest army <laughs> because we didn't yeah. lose anything. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, you get, and you didn't get split up either, did you? Yeah, no, like, we just yeah. stayed as one giant faction, so Games Workshop was like, I, we don't even know what to do with this. <laughs> and now you live in space. Uh, sometimes. <laughs> not as well. We, we not only, that's an option now. I personally yeah. do not run, uh, I do not run space lizards, because I hate them. I, I run lizards that live on the ground. Uh, I run actual lizardmen, and I love them. Uh, the thunder lizards and the uh, coatles claw are super duper fun. Because they are the they're the OG lizardmen in Age of Sigmar. They're the lizardmen that said that flying around space was stupid, so they landed on the ground and uh, terraformed jungles, and they're kicking ass and taking names. It's great. Oh, I've got one last minute shit to add to our conversion kit um, list, and that's the Iron Blaster. So the Iron Blaster is almost suspiciously cheap, right? Given what it is, which is a modular kit that can be assembled two ways: either giant brass cannon with vaguely Cathay styled aesthetics to it with a big slave ogre holding it up and pointing it in a direction or Noblar scrap launcher which is a kind of chaotic looking um, big catapult that fires loads of bits of metal and then has a bunch of slightly piratey looking um, Noblars crawling all over it. Now look Noblars divide opinion um, and the extent to which other people want to use goblins in their uh, Chaos Dwarf army is completely up to them. But I think everyone knows that I'm a pretty massive goblin collector. Um, I really like the scrap launcher as something stupid that the Chaos Dwarf slaves cobble together and bring with them. Um, but more importantly, it, you get whichever way you want to assemble the miniature itself you get the other artillery piece and all those spare units on it. So if you decide to make the scrap launch, which is probably what I'm going to do, then you come out of that process with a giant cannon, which is always good for the Chaos Dwarfs and can be mounted on all sorts of things, and a really nifty slave ogre to crew it, or generally, you know, with his nasty beaten metal helmet, put in whatever situation you choose, convert him into a soldier, um, whatever looks best um, because the kind of combination of like horrific looking metal and then this big gun and then these handy green skins crawling all over everything just kind of gives you a lot of different angles that you can play all at once. 
And Chits, am I right in remembering that it's kind of pulled by like a woolly rhino sort of creature? Yeah, it's pulled by a rhinox. Yeah, rhinox. So but that's a cool thing as well, because I was just thinking about the last interview we did with um, Tyranno, him having the uh, hobgoblins um, have the option of have a big beast of burden as their kind of big monster. They said like... Yeah, they were based on war elephants, weren't they? Yeah, that's it. So you could, you know, you could get double duty out of that kit. You could get a couple of cannons for your Chaos Dwarfs. You could get a Slave Ogre to do something else. And you could get a Rhino for your Hobgoblins to be riding around on. You could get a lot of things out of that, couldn't you? Yeah. Well, I think anyone worth their salt should know that if, when and if we get Hobgoblin Kane, one thing they're going to have that's going to be badass and they need to have it, GW, is that they should have like a giant platform, like a giant platform pulled by some kind of big beast that has just a whole bunch of hobgoblins on it with bows and stuff. So man, just take like a rhinox and just build a big stacked platform on top of it, like the juggernaut mini we were looking at uh, on the podcast. What's the and and I know I'm going to end up buying this by the way for a, a ridiculous conversion that I'll never do justice, which is a Marienburg land ship crewed by goblins. Um, what's the um what's the by pirate goblins right um what's the the new orc range they've got something coming that's like this big crawling troll and on the back of it a load of goblins in a big howdah oh yes it's the uh the the slogoth it's called a slogoth yeah 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 and then you've got because i don't want the slogoth i think it's weird and boring but but the howdah with all the goblins inside it is going to get like kind of bodged onto the front of a Marienburg. I didn't even ship. think about and, that. That'd be perfect. And 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 that's kind of what you're describing, right? For your hobgoblins. Yeah, oh yeah, yes, that would not, absolutely. Be it's not on a crawling trogoth, but you'd put it on some kind of beast of the steps. Yes, something furry. Well, there you go, GW. Once again, you don't need a studio. You just need a bunch of old Warhammer Fantasy Battle fans sitting around talking about what you should design. We'll include our address for royalties, though. Thank you. That's it, yeah. <laughs> they don't even pay royalties to people in the studio. People don't even get their names in books anymore. So it's like, that's how far we've taken things. Don't ruin my fantasy. <laughs> it's, it's, the, it's the Matt Ward effect, right? It's because people got weird with it. Um, but yeah, that was just my last thought. Um, but in particular, I think I love that ogre. I love that cannon. I love that face mask. Um, and then the the noblars and the scrap launcher. Even if you just use the noblar as crew to have crawling around your other artillery pieces, I think you're getting a lot of value, especially given how cheap this kit still is. Right? It's like thirty five bucks in the US, but it can be assembled two ways. Is it um, really? You're right. That is that is suspiciously cheap. Genuinely, it's like they forgot about it. Mm. Um, it's not the biggest piece of artillery in, in the world, but that cannon barrel is one of the largest ones you can still buy since they shit-canned all of the Empire artillery besides the Hellblaster and the rocket launcher. Um, you can't actually buy normal big cannons in Age of Sigmar anymore Very because true. they were Very deemed true. too normal. Yeah, no, it's definitely... I think you've converted me, mate. <laughs> I, I, I honestly think I'm probably going to be buying this now, Chits. So, cheers, mate. But um... Hey! More sales, no commission. But I'm thinking, honestly, 50% for my Chaos Dwarf army, giving the big cannon and the slave ogre, and 50% for my uh, for my hobgoblin army fighting platform being pulled by Rhinox. I think that's like, yeah, perfect. I don't know what I'll do with the Noblars, because I'm not a massive Noblar fan myself, but yeah. You could always just have them like be little slave 
goblins that are just running around one of the bases, kind of a scenic thing. I think I'd be tempted to change their head. I think I'd use uh, 40k grot heads or something. I was going to say, the thing that you'd find, Sotek, that divides opinion for us about Noblars is do Noblars just look too stupid to be fielded as plausible Chaos Dwarf war slaves? Because there are some <laughs> guys, there are some guys whose hobgoblins are like clan rat torsos or similarly hobgoblin sized torsos and legs with, um, with Noblar heads on them. Um, and there are some people who think that that is not the look. Um, and it's one of those kind of little mini fault lines between what direction people want to take their green skins in. Me, I'm very pro-goblin, but I've never bought a Noblar until this scrap launcher. Um, very so, pro-goblin. I love that. <laughs> I, honestly, I, you know, I'm a Skarsnik OG goblins only <laughs> green skins collector. I've got like Marauder um, goblins older than me that I've spent far too much on over the years. I've got every make of Spider Rider in my collection going all the way back to the 80s. But um, it's one of those things where sometimes you want them to look just that little bit less ridiculous so that the army can maintain its gravitas because I think you either want to go full goof or full grimdark but getting stuck between the two can be kind of unpleasant and the ogre kingdoms they get stuck there because the ogres are pretty serious looking dudes and then the noblars just kind of give off this vibe of comic relief oh i love noblars they are the comic relief <laughs> but see that's the thing that's, the whole and point. I think that's why that's why people genuinely people have made whole regiments using those heads because some people find them really evocative and you know i'm into it now right i've got these dudes they're waiting for me in a box somewhere that i'll use eventually um but i think it's one of those interesting things to observe because we've had to make so many different hobgoblins out of so many different kits over the years we did one of our first podcast segments was uh, all about converting hobgoblins actually i i watched that episode yeah moments before they bloody announced they were starting to sell bloody hobgoblins <laughs> how do we kit bash this kids workshops like they're getting on to us <laughs> they're getting on to us yeah that, that is a really great kit Chits. Uh, i i right. picked up all the knoblars off of that and uh yeah if, if jack if you're looking to fence any uh pirate hats and uh, I will uh, happily scoop those off you. Oh yeah, nice one. Yeah, absolutely, mate. I'll, I'll happily, happily send them your way because um, yeah, it's gonna happen now. And I've said it on a podcast. I've got to do it, and I. <laughs> Just for your reference, Reaver's one of the most talented converters on the forum, and his thing is uh, the Ironclad Fleet, right? So he has built his army. Reaver, I think it's fair for me to say this of you in front of you he's built it basically based on the theme of the chaos dwarf um yep. navy yeah that's that's 100 it yep they're, they're aquatic raiders so anything pirate or sea themed anything with tentacles um anything with a pirate hat on it <laughs> ends up going in reaver's bits box one way or the other <laughs> awesome dude have you ever uh oh wait never mind I was gonna be like, you ever got a copy of Dreadfleet? And I was like, oh wait, those. Uh, are I do. Yeah, <laughs> yep. have the whole thing painted, the whole thing. Yep. <laughs> oh, well, there you go then. That's basically where the the idea starts. Yeah, I mean, for the most part, um, yeah, I came off of Vampire Coast as the faction that I was just converting. Uh, by the way, Morngul do own that was a really fun model. Um, but yeah, so I started off of Vampire Coast and it was just like, well, if I have battles and. You know, I don't have too many people uh, that that play, and so I might be able to convince people if I got a couple of different themed armies and kind of just leaned into it and kept going. And yeah, I got Dreadfleet around that 
era of my hobby and was like, well, that's a cool Chaos Dwarf Kraken. I can I can roll I can roll with that. Very nice. It is, it is a uh, it is a very desired collector's piece now because of yes, Vampire is. Coast. It's funny. It went from being like one of the most hated <laughs> things Gates Workshops ever released because it was so bizarre. Um, yeah, because it was like, that classic thing of it wasn't Man of War, was it? No, nah, it, it was it was something that like kind of tried to cash in on Man of War nostalgia yeah. while being a completely different game. Which you know that always works out. Good job, GW. <laughs> I think I think they also you know they gave the budget for a single boxed game. They didn't give the budget for a, a miniatures line. Um, and you see this with things like um, Ripper's Snarl Fangs, right? Which is like all we wanted was Goblin Wolf Riders back, and they gave us extreme three Goblin Wolf Riders that the wolves are four times the size of the goblin and stuff like that. And it's like, you can see that there are artists in the studio who want to give us what we want, but they're only given the project resources to make it for the game that they're given the work on, if you see what I'm saying. So they can't give us the range. They can only give us the angle that they get. And I feel like Dreadfleet was made with the best of, of intentions, but then in the long run, it just didn't have legs in the same way that Battlefleet Gothic ended up not having legs epic ended up not having legs commercially to outshine the the golden children of 40k and the specialist games that have come since then so i'll say this i have i have two very brief responses which are that number one my only my biggest beef with dreadfleet was and always will be how dare you make a naval game about warhammer fantasy use giant ships and not have a fucking black arc. <laughs> Thank you. Oh <laughs> like, my god! <laughs> like, how do you not have dark elves? <laughs> the only, the one super naval power of Warhammer Fantasy in the game. Like, what a what a colossal dunk up! Like, oh yeah, here's a tomb, here's a Skaven undead Skaven and Tomb King ship. But no, you don't get you don't get uh, a <laughs> you don't get dark elves. Um, the second thing is, don't sleep on Snarl's Ripafangs. Not saying. Just, just saying, there might be more to that. There might not just be that. It would be nice because it's a, it's another Games Workshop staple, isn't it? The, the little goblins riding wolves that is just the the get mob the get mob grots. grots gets a release. I will buy every single box in that range on launch day. Well, they probably will, wouldn't they? They probably will. It's old world, now, isn't it? You didn't hear it from me. You didn't hear it from me. All right. Well, I, I I dreamed that this might be true, and then they put the hobgrots in um, the Mork Boys, and I thought, well, maybe that angle isn't happening. But yeah, the the space was definitely left. The name was given, um, and that's the dream, isn't it? Have y'all have y'all heard about the stupidity involved with the hobgrots? Have Have I told you all the hilarity about that yet? No. So um, this is a really funny story for me personally, at least. So um, I went so. The Orc Warcraft players um, really like the Cruel Boys. You know, Cruel Boys are very, very popular. A lot of people want to play them. Um, so <laughs> they released the starter set for Dominion, which has rules and points, so you can play the faction, right? Um, however, for some reason, <laughs> when they published the book, or the, the army set, um, for people that wanted to run Cruel Boys, you had to use what was in the Dominion set. So a lot of people wanted to run a ton of the, the shooty guys with the giant crossbows because they're very good. They're very, very good. They do a ton of damage. 
Um, however, you know, there are basic rules in Warhammer games that many Warhammer players are familiar with, like the concept of ha- like you have to have enough core units, you know, on the tabletop. The same thing exists in AOS. They're called battle line. You have to have enough battle line units. The problem is when they released the box, all of the Cruel Boy players got completely screwed because the only battle line unit is the melee orcs who are really bad. A lot of because all the Oric players were buying up the Hobgrots because they thought the Hobgoblins would be a cheap battle line unit, but they're considered a mercenary unit, so they don't count as battle line. They're like they don't even su- have the Cruel Boys keyword, right? So half the powers in the game don't apply to them. They have zero synergy with the army. Like they are they are not related to the auric warclans at all <laughs> they're just like this random ass unit from another army that just happens to be in the release box they're a conspiracy to sell and not so tech, this is the best thing in the world for me this is this is the best thing in the world for me because i am nearly at, must be near a thousand points of warhammer fantasy hobgoblins now and i've spent about a hundred pounds which is probably about what 120 130 dollars at one point, the price of Dominion, because bear in mind, everything's even cheaper in the UK, Sotec, right? Because our baseline price is lower than anywhere else in the world for Warhammer stuff. Oh, yes, um, I'm keenly aware. <laughs> yeah, and, and well, in, in that context, you have to understand, like, what, what was it you were paying? Didn't the price go up briefly on the secondary market, Oxy, from like £6 for 10 to six pounds fifty for ten. The piss, mate. Too much money. It was it was one of those points where it was like we dreamed of this and when the Dominion announcement, I remember live streaming it on a bus as it was being um shown and posting updates and commentary to everyone on the Discord who was at work and couldn't watch it. And the fact that Hobgots were in there and that Chaos Dwarfs are obviously coming back, we were losing our fucking minds. And they sold a lot of Dominion boxes to our fans that day. But everyone on the forum who held the line and waited has been buying up Hobgoblins like they are going out of style because Cruel Boys players and, you know, Sigmarine players just don't have any use for them at all. It's <laughs> yeah, astonishing. They're, they're, they're literally like a bonus unit in the box because they're that useless. I mean, I played against a Cruel Boys player in the tournament and I saw, like, we were talking about the Hobgrats and I, I ran across the table and killed them all instantly. Like, they're they're pathetic. Um, and he, I was just like, well, you know, they have the grenades. And he's like, yeah, I guess. And, I, like, we were going over the rules. So I was like, so what do they do? And he's like, nothing. I was like, nothing? He goes, no, I can't use any of my characters on them because they don't have keywords, so I can't use any command abilities on them. They are a screen unit, but they're not battle line, <laughs> so I can't just, like, take them for cheap so then I can take fun stuff. Like, unless they include some kind of new special rule in their army book, they are literally useless in the yeah. Orc Warclans book. Uh, uh, some something to bear in mind with these as well, Sotek, similar to what you were saying about the Slanesh units. These guys are strangely on diagonal slotters straight out of the box, and they fit diagonal 20mm slotter bases perfectly, and they rank when you do it. Yep, n- not not a convenience. Or yeah. not not a not a uh, what's the word I'm looking for? 
Coincidence. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, these are. De- I would say these are almost definitely old world models waiting to happen. Um, now, in terms of, uh, is there more coming? I bloody well hope so, because I actually they've kind of divided our community really, because there's, there's some of us in the uh, Chaos Dwarf uh, forums who are have been collecting hobgoblins for such a long time, and the kind of floppy hats and cloaks and all that kind of look has been moved away from here. So some people are very against them. Um, I happen to really like their aesthetic. I just don't know why they had to do the sneaky gits specifically so so dirty like this. Because sneaky gits were like a special infantry regiment that could surround on three sides when it charges in the front, right? Um, and it does bonus damage if you obviously charge a, a regiment in the back as well. And they were kind of like the elite hobgoblins of the original 94 Chaos Dwarf list. Um, and yet now they are, because they're the obvious inspiration with the two-handed daggers and all that kind of stuff, but now they are hands down the most irrelevant version. And all of the subsequent hobgrots that, that get released in some form at some point, whether it's part of Oathbreakers or what, um, they're always going to be better than that because they obviously are going to look at what the rules did to the sales and say, we need to write better rules so that people buy these minis. Yeah. I think, Reva, did you say once about them being sneaky gits and, and having hand grenades being kind of a bit of a contradiction? Yeah, I think that was something that we discussed uh, uh, when, when, <laughs> that, when that first dropped. And I was like, I, I, I guess I don't mind them. I, I haven't picked any up myself. Uh, and I guess they were kind of the... Uh, the hobgrot in the room so to speak that we didn't pick up in terms of this discussion but you know hopefully the 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 next golden hat which there's still time on but um i believe that's mid-september is that correct on the go- september, september 12th, 12th deadline so it very much depends on how good i am at editing reva as to whether or not this is uh <laughs> gonna be out before or that's fair that. yep <laughs> So, take just so you know, our community does uh, contests, um, and in fact, listeners, the results of the Golden Hat Hobgoblin contest will be probably with you by the time we get this ready to post. But um, right now, the thing that everyone is working for our painting contest on, everyone except me anyway, um, is doing something cool with the Hobgoblin concept as inspired by the release of the Hobgrots. And tons of people on the board have been hoovering up Hobgrots, and some of them have been looking at how to convert them into um, old style hobgoblins with scale mail or big puffy clothes. Um, uh, other people have been trying to kind of roll with the aesthetic in a different direction. Um, and it's all going to be very kind of green skin themed over on Chaos Force Online for a little while, um, which is, you know, we've got some people on the forum who collect straight hobgoblin armies with no dwarfs in them. That's that's where we're at as a community like those guys are around and they have a good time too um but i think it will be really exciting to see everyone's projects when they are ready oh yeah and 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 i think that uh hobgoblins are are in for a great time hobgoblin fans when we get to see the full chaos dwarf range because it it genuinely seems like they kind of put out this new like this hobgoblin unit to me the the way i understand this hobgoblin unit based on what games workshop has told us is that these are not you know the new aesthetic of the hobgoblins these are like the the crappiest tiniest <laughs> bottom bitch tier 
um, hobgoblins that are allowed to go hang out with the Oryx, but all the real ones, like the spooky ones that are going to be like, you know, probably wearing all the really cool armor and stuff have yet to come. And I'm really, really excited to see what they're going to do with those. Oh, I hope so. I really hope so. I've enjoyed, I've enjoyed these models so much. I find them so characterful and so interesting and so convertible as well. I suppose just it's the nature of being a plastic multi-part, isn't it? Yeah, so I really hope you are right. There'd be great to see more of these coming out. Yeah, the only thing I was going to say is that uh, I I think the uh, the golden hat will be something that I, I probably won't end up in, but I'm definitely looking forward to uh, you know we'll we'll call it leveraging ideas once this all wraps up because uh, I think from our conversations with uh, with Toronto and, and just the general Hobgrot theme over the last uh, you know since the Dominion release, um, I think it's definitely something that's going to find its way into. Uh, yeah, uh, the I guess the uh, the the mysterious seas and the conversions that I'll have to do to make a nice uh, pirate themed version of the Khanate, essentially. But I think I'll just wait and and see what happens with the with the golden hat and everybody in the community always has a great host of ideas and I'm sure people will do things in myriad interesting ways. Almost, almost definitely, I'll say, mate. Yeah. All right. I think, gentlemen, that is just about everything we had kind of prepared to speak about today. So I'm going to start wrapping up. Um, first of all, first and foremost, I'd like to say a massive, massive thank you to uh, to Lawmaster Sotek for for joining us today, mate. We're a we're a pretty new podcast from a pretty small little corner of the Warhammer fandom, and uh, having you down here and uh, and and getting involved with us here is it's been been a real treat mate so thank you very much for, for for coming down to us oh well uh thank you for having me y'all are doing great work uh y'all have a very very busy community and i really hope that uh between the uh appearing over on my channel and stuff that y'all can continue to have big growth and i hope y'all are ready for the just fever pitch that's gonna happen when i i will say this i will say this and that i have i have listened in on conversations where there have been musings about the inevitable trailer for the Chaos Dwarfs, and there's just nothing but excitement in the background for when that finally can be made and unleashed upon the world. An exciting time, an extremely exciting time to be in this fandom. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, of course, uh, the big message always, always is at the end of these podcasts, please, 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 Come and see us over at the forum. It really, really is the place to be, okay? You are going to find so much inspiration. You're going to find a really cool community. If you are into writing, drawing, collecting, painting, the lore, just the discussion, anything about Chaos Dwarfs, Hobgoblins, and Warhammer Fantasy, or Age of Sigmar in general, you are going to find an absolutely fantastic little uh, base of players and collectors and people to talk to. It's, it's, it's a fantastic, fantastic community. And the other exciting thing to talk about is the fact that the second issue of our zine is coming out extremely soon. We believe it's going to be ready by mid-September. So all being well, you guys will have that in front of you by mid-September, including an interview of Lost Kingdom Miniatures, including an interview with Rick Priestley himself, as well as lots of hobby articles, battle reports, and lots and lots of other brilliant content. Anyway, I'm waffling now, so I'm going to say goodnight. So, goodnight from me, and goodnight from the rest of the podcast team. We'll catch you all soon. Till then, guys. Bye.